0: Okay, good evening everybody. Welcome back to Exploring the Lord of the Rings. Uh, My name is Corey Olson, the Tolkien Professor. Happy to join you here this evening. And this is session number 124 of Exploring the Lord of the Rings. Uh, So first, let me start off by explaining, well first, by um, asking for your help. Because, so I'm, I have a completely new setup today in all ways. And this, as usual, is completely my children's fault. Actually, in this case, much more directly my children's fault than usual. Indeed, child, I cannot bring my elder son into this. Um, those of you who follow my son's stream uh we'll know from this afternoon uh he's been doing a pokemon stream on tuesday afternoons uh and of course as those of you who are pokemon fans will know pokemon sword the latest new pokemon generation i don't even remember what number generation it is uh, cuz i am not the pokemon expert in our family um anyway the the new game came out this past weekend so he like really wanted to stream The new game, Pokemon Sword, which means he needed to be able to stream from his Nintendo Switch. And this involved purchasing a piece of hardware, which involved... Then downloading a piece of software, which necessitated me upgrading my (laughs) operating system, which then forced me to totally change everything about the hardware and software that I used to stream entirely. So, like, this, like, huge chain of events uh, that got thrown into gear um, as a result of all this. And it was, um, it it was, it was crazy. So, um... Anyway, uh you will uh, so I'm a, I'm a little bit experimenting. It means some of the angles are different uh because again all different pretty much all different hardware. Um uh so um uh yeah, yeah. Anyway, so that's um That's time for a separate system for him. Yeah, it's one of these days. One of these days. Okay, good. Thank you, Druids Fire, for confirming that my audio and video are both good on Twitch. And by the way, you notice that. So, since I'm switching to a new piece of software that I'm streaming from, I did this new thing. Do you like it? Right? I've like simulated my banner. See, it was the one thing that I disliked about going green screen uh, for these Twitch. uh, for these Twitch broadcasts, uh, is that like, I lost my banner and I really liked my banner, you know, with the signum logo right behind my head, like a medieval halo, uh, with the, with the the little eagle hovering over my head. Well, right. I'm like, okay, let me, uh, let me see if I can, um, uh, let, (laughs) let me see if I can replicate that. So there we go. I was playing with that. Um, my camera frame is kind of weird. Oh boy. Is it ever? Renroos. Absolutely. Yeah. Real weird. Um, but but, Hey, again, it's, it's odd. It's even stranger on, uh, uh, the Twitter feed, which is like all in a different angle and stuff. Sorry. I'm trying to fix it here a little bit, a little bit better. Anyway, it's all different. It's all kind of weird. Um, so, um, yeah, anyway, it's all very interesting. So, Again, please do let me know if uh, you have any issues with seeing or hearing things because it seems to me that little could be more likely uh, than that there would be some trouble with that. So, okay. All right. Um, Then assuming everything is carrying on okay, uh, I'm going to uh, move forward. So... What was I talking about? Yes. Um, oh, uh, Edith Aldora was saying on Twitch that my son is a chip off the old block. He, he kind of is. He kind of is. Yeah, he's definitely the one who is most like me in my, in my family, personality wise. Uh, and uh, I've been quite uh, I've been quite enjoying his streams. Uh, actually, he's really uh, uh, he's pretty active uh, on his streams. <laughs> so anyway. Um, Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, he does. So those of you who are interested, his, uh, uh, his show, which is called the Pokemon Discovery Project, uh, okay. airs at 4.30 p.m. Eastern Time uh, on Tuesdays. Uh, so that's when it airs live on Twitch. Uh, but of course, you can also find it uh, on his YouTube channel. Uh, which is under his name, the, his his streaming name, the Rambunctious Riolu. Uh, so there you go. Um, no, JJ, this does not mean I'll have an episode where I sing the entire stream because I do not have my son's stamina for that, nor a fraction of his skill in percussion, which was by far my favorite part of the musical uh, episode that he did. Yeah, he ended up doing for stream number thirteen. He ended up. Starting a spontaneous song, which he then maintained for the last 50 minutes of his hour long show. Uh, he did a, it was a, <laughs> it was, I was cracking up. Anyway, it's all good. So, let's, uh, let's, let's, let's keep moving forward here because tonight is a big night. Because tonight we are going, now I'm going to go ahead and say it. Tonight we are going to finish chapter one of book two. That's it. I'm calling it. We are getting to the end of the chapter tonight. Three slides. That's it. Three slides and we're done. So there we go. Um, <laughs> Christopher says, so I have a question about weather top. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Okay. All right, wise persons. But first, before we do, I don't have a... Uh, the, I, I, rather than addressing a, a, a question for tonight, I wanted to do something else, which was something that I should have done a long time ago. But I keep getting distracted and it because I'm extremely... have always been very forgetful. Uh, and I'd say it was my old age, except that's another way in which my son is like me. Uh, but anyway, okay, so... Um, what... Um, what we're gonna, uh, w- what I wanted to bring to your attention is, of course, the episode summary. So, this is many, many thanks to Tony Mead for starting this initiative. Tony approached me about this a little while back, uh, and he was, because we, we had had, remember, I'd mentioned this before in a previous class that, you know, as I think this was around when we were finishing with book one, and I was saying, you know, several people have mentioned uh, that we are, um, uh that it would be really good to do a book. Right. It would be really good to publish something uh from this. And there's certainly lots and lots and lots of wonderful material lots of lots and uh lots of, of wonderful discussion that we have had. And um and I'm very interested in this. I think it would be fun to do uh uh you know, as a sort of uh community project, uh to be working together to um make something, uh, you know, to sort of publish something out of our discussions here. Because um, I don't have time right now to sit down and write Exploring the World of the Rings. I wish I did, but I don't. Um, and anyway, here we are, right, having these discussions every week. I don't have time to sit down and write the book, but I do have time to continue our discussions week by week, right? So um, the idea... Therefore was, you know, when I was talking when so Tony emailed me and was like, hey, I'd like to help with this. What could we do? And I said, well, you know, the very first step, right, if I were going to sit down and write a book from based on this, the very first thing that I would do is go through and make notes like outlines of the stuff that we said, the conversations that we had. In the classes, you know, because again, there's so much great material there. First, we need to kind of gather all that together in a form that's going to be uh, usable, right? That we could then sort of shape and uh, shape and work on from there. So the first step that Tony began then uh, and has begun on his own is uh, to do... Uh, episode summaries. Um, So let me show you where those are if you wanted to pitch into this, because this is something that really could be a community project. So um, if you go to uh, the forums, uh, so this is the, this of course many of you go, this is where you come to ask questions for Narnian, but of course we made a separate little sub-forum uh, for the episode summaries that Tony has begun here. So, uh, if you look through, these are just, you know, listed of course, in in, uh, in order, right? And he's up in, in, and uh, done 25 now, so you just look at session 25, which he most recently finished, um, and you'll see he's... Um, kind of going on, uh, based on topics and just bullet points under each of the sort of major, uh, uh, like sections of the text or sort of discussions that we had. Um, this is, you know, it's not like, this is not a transcription. We don't want a transcription and transcription would be way too unwieldy. Right. But just a little summary, right. Bullet points from, you know, the discussion that we had, things that I said, things that you guys contributed. Um, and so we've got all of this really good material to go through. So the next step, of course, will be kind of sorting things out and, and putting things together. Um, and you're right, Lady like this would be a very long book. Um, JJ, that was exactly my thought. Uh, and that's why I was really beginning to think about this after we finished uh, The Flight to the Ford, because, uh, you know, I really... We are going to need to be thinking about this on a book-by-book basis. What makes most sense to me is to see, like, is there something that we can build? Like, I would want this to be sort of a six-volume thing, right, as we go through The Lord of the Rings. Um, And it'll take a while. But see, fortunately, we have a while, right? So it'll be good. Um, uh, But um, anyway, so... I, I just wanted to draw your attention to this project. And I think, you know, so if you guys are interested, if any of you are interested in in sort of helping to, to continue to move this along and to, to bring us to the next phase of compiling things and organizing thoughts and things, um, we can do that. Um, but, um. I would... Uh, but of course, the first step is to complete uh, these summaries. I think this is a great initiative that Tony did. And again, many thanks uh, to Tony for his initiative in starting, at, starting out with this, and I think he's got some wonderful models uh, for how to do this. Um, so I, I just... I, I You know, again, they're right here in the forum, so anybody can, can pitch in uh, to help out with this. Um, so anyway, just wanted to draw your attention to that and uh, commend those to you. Uh, and... Um, We'll, um, uh, we'll, we'll see where we can go from here, but this is the first step. So, okay. Excellent. And yeah, again, thank you so much, Tony, uh, for starting that out, uh, and for bearing with me again. He, he and I talked about this a long time ago and I've been meaning to mention it and talk about it in class for goodness, a long time. And I keep forgetting about it, uh, uh, getting distracted and, and anyway, so I finally remembered to talk about it and to thank Tony for it uh, and uh, invite you guys to join in on this collaboration because uh, it's um, it, it it should be a lot of fun. Okay. Now, let us get back to the text. Here we go. So, we just had the poem, right? So we finished the Ielbereth Elbereth Gilthonio poem last time and uh, now we resume prose. And... English. Frodo halted for a moment, looking back. Elrond was in his chair, and the fire was on his face like summer light upon the trees. Near him sat the Lady Arwen. To his surprise, Frodo saw that Aragorn stood beside her. His dark cloak was thrown back, and he seemed to be clad in elven mail, and a star shone on his breast. They spoke together, and then suddenly it seemed to Frodo that Arwen turned towards him, and the light of her eyes fell on him from afar. And pierced his heart. He stood still, enchanted, while the sweet syllables of the elvish song fell like clear jewels of blended word and melody. It is a song to Elbereth, said Bilbo. They will sing that and many other songs of the Blessed Realm many times tonight. Come on. Um, okay. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Dorward is reminding me. I forgot the announcements. Yeah. Not too many announcements tonight. The primary announcement is uh, uh, that uh, Baymut. Yeah, that was the one I, m- I meant to mention. Yes, Baymoot. Uh, this coming weekend, we're getting together in Berkeley, California on Saturday, the 23rd of November. Join me if you're anywhere nearby. Come join me. There's still time to register. Uh, just go to uh, signumuniversity.org. Scroll down to the Baymoot event Page uh, there. You know, there's a little tile for the Baymouth event page, and then the registration link is right there. So uh, please do join us for that. Um, okay. All right. Back to our text. That's it. That was the only announcement I wanted to do, but I did forget it. So thanks, Sharon. All right. Um, let's focus first on Frodo's experience there on the threshold, right? Having heard the uh, Elbereth Gilthoniel. Um, Uh, song. And then uh, in the second, and then we'll look at Bilbo's reaction, right? In the second paragraph there. Um, So Frodo halts for a moment and looks back. Remember, he's just crossed the threshold. So they've just left the room. So he's in the doorway of the room, right? Looking back through, across the threshold, into the Hall of Fire. And we see Elrond in his chair. This is one of the first times we've had a direct description of Elrond since the beginning, when they processed in, right? Um, and the fire was on his face like summer light upon the trees, um, as kind as summer. He is called in the revised Hobbit, right? Uh, as kind as Christmas, uh, as kind as Christmas he is uh, in the first edition of the Hobbit, but as kind as summer uh, in the revised Hobbit. Um, uh, and so that that means, by the way, that I susp- that I believe this simile predates it, right? So when Tolkien wrote, uh, the fire was on his face like summer light upon the trees, um, it was still kind as Christmas in The Hobbit, and it was only in the years after The Lord of the Rings was published that he then changed it. So if one reference influenced the other, it's the other way around, right? It's this that influenced The Hobbit, uh, reference to summer rather than the other way around. Um... Uh, But um, that little glimpse of Elrond um, the fire was on his face like summer light upon the trees. I'm not quite sure what to make of that exactly. So first of all, the fact that it's summer light, right? Um, It really emphasizes that the sort of the uh, I don't know, like the eternal summer, right? Of Elrond's life, right? Of the Elvish existence, um, it's not. You know, he's not autumnal, right? He's. Not, this is not. This is not winter. It's not Christmas, right? It's not in the middle of winter. Um, uh, and yes, WKU, I agree. The hyphenated word "summer light" does suggest, at least, the possibility that that phrase is uh, is a. A specific concept, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't. I'm. I'm tempted to kind of be drawing parallels, right? Like that is Elrond's face. You know, I mean, the parallel is you know the fire is like the summer sun, and the his face is like the trees, right? Um, so he is not being compared to the light of summer as he is in the Hobbit uh, uh, simile, right? Um, instead, the firelight on his face is like, somehow, the summer light upon the trees. And exactly how is what I'm trying to sort out, right? I don't think this is, can be simply a visible metaphor, right? Um, I mean, Kurtz and i agree, the, the gold-green haze seen through the trees in old forests is just what I picture, too. But I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do with that picture, so, like, what's that like? Literally, like the firelight on his face. I mean, so it can't be like the light filtering through the trees because we're talking about the light on his face. So, uh, yeah. So again, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure out exactly what is being conveyed by the simile here. Right? A simile compares one thing to another thing. What? is Elrond being compared to exactly here? I don't think the point of the metaphor or the point of the simile is to say, Elrond is like a tree. A tree when it has sun on it. Like, that doesn't even make any sense, right? I, I don't think it can be that. Um, um, but, yeah, Matt, I agree. That's the first thing that struck me. So Matt says um, that, you know, it's... Uh, The odd thing to him is that it's summer when everyone thinks of the elves as in the autumn of their time in Middle-earth, which is true. And he says this is a good reminder that even if they are leaving these shores and diminishing, they will still be a part of Middle-earth. Yeah, I agree. That's what struck me most too, that it was summer instead of autumn or something like that. Instead of getting a glimpse of... You know the waning of the elves, or something like that. What Frodo is being struck by here is rather, again, the the, like eternal noon of the lifetime of the elves, right? The eternal noon of the year, right? In the summer light. Um, So I agree. That was really striking to me as well. Um, um, Yeah, good. Mad Violinist says that it is said that summer still lingered in Elrond's gardens, or, or at least it will be said soon we haven't quite gotten to that yet yes exactly so that idea of the lingering of summer even when other things are fading that's that's you know that seems like an appropriate metaphor for you know for elvish stuff right um but um but yeah again it's he's not being i mean the summer is relevant And as I said, Matt, I was struck by that same thing, but it doesn't explain it. At least it doesn't explain the whole thing, right? Because clearly, um, he's not being compared to the light. The fire was on his face like summer light upon the trees. Um, So 4th Dauntless is making some interesting suggestions. Um, uh, He was just saying that summer light nourishes trees, perhaps the firelight and stories nu- nourish elrond and restore his strength yeah are we supposed to s- like yeah so for thomas i'm thinking in that direction too maybe not quite as literally as that but okay just just as a tree in its full green foliage right is sort of I don't know, it's like home. It's natural place is under summer sun, right? Um, uh, so Elrond, like this is Elrond's natural place, if that makes any sense. Wow, did I explain that badly? Let me try that again. Um, Elrond, like again, what, what we're getting a glimpse of, and remember the, the frame. By which I mean literally the frame of Frodo's vision, like in the doorway. He is outside and he's looking through the doorway and he is seeing Elrond from a distance in the Hall of Fire, right? And seeing the light from the fire on the face of Elrond and seeing the light from the fire in, if we are correct, the center of the room, uh, shining on the face of Elrond as he sits in his special chair. Um, I just made an assumption that it was special, but anyway, it's called his chair, uh, so I'm thinking it's a little bit special, but anyway, as Elrond is in his chair with the fire in his face, Frodo is, for some reason, reminded of summer light upon the trees, right? Um, yeah, yeah, um, So what I was trying to get at, super clumsily before, sort of inspired, Thoughtless, by your, um, by your comments there, is that, El- like, it's not, it's not that Elrond is being compared to the summer light, nor exactly even that he's being compared to a tree, but rather, the sort of the relationship, the fitness between the summer sun and the. You know, the, the the tree in the fullness of its strength and foliage, those things are associated together just as Elrond and the Hall of Fire are associated together, right? The two of them, they fit each other in the same way. Um, and so I think in this way Elrond is, of course, being compared to the tree. But again, the image that we have, we, 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 we shouldn't be imagining him with his leaves brown and, and wilting and lither and, and, and falling, right? Nor should we imagine him barren of leaves, nor even should we imagine him budding and flowering. He is like a tree in summer. Right. Um, exactly. We should imagine Elrond with leaves, JJ. That's exactly it, right? So he is being compared to a tree in the fullness in the fullness of its strength under the f- under the open light of the sun, right? And that's you know of the summer sun. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, good. Several of you, Kimber and Mike, and for Thoughtless are thinking about the nourishing of the tree by the by the summer sun, right? Because it's not there's, it's not a coincidental relationship, right? It's not a it's not an accidental correlation between you know, or, or merely some kind of association between the tree and the fullness of its foliage and strength and the summer sun, right? There's a causal relationship there. So, is it implying a kind of a causal relationship here? Um, he is the lore master, right? You know, is part of me suspects. I know, of course, like in in Lotro, in the game, Elrond has his study, right? And that's his place. You always go to Elrond's study and that's where you find him when you're looking for him in the game. Um, But I think this simile suggests to me that the heart of Elrond's power in Middle-earth, right? The heart of his life, that the the core of his existence here in Middle-earth is here. In the Hall of Fire. This is the this is his place. This is his center. Um, and, um, you know, that's um, uh, that's that's what I um, um, it's the best I got. It's the best I got. Um, yeah, good. Good. Yeah, it's exactly Mad Violinist. It's the heart of Elrondum in Middle Earth. Absolutely, that's exactly it. Um, yeah, Fourth is saying this now seems a disturbing parallel with the Samothnauer. Well, yeah, it is, except good instead of evil, right? I mean, I, I, I think um, you know, just as you know, Galadriel has her place with her mirror, and I mean, that seems to me. Uh, Uh, a kind of a a normal thing, right? The association of a particular place with, you know, I mean, obviously Tom Bombadil's got a place. Um, Anyway. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Sorry, I was just noticing people on the Twitch chat talking about Pac-Man. I think that's some kind of a relic of the software that I'm using. I have no idea how to make that not happen. Um, but yeah, that's, sorry. It is my son's fault, but only indirectly. Um, anyway, okay. Uh, good. So, yeah, yeah. Ray Burns, I think that there is a parallel that we'll see later with Goadra. I don't know that we'll get a comparison like this, um, because, we, you know, there are two places in Lothlorien that are clearly significant, right? One, of course, is her mirror, uh, and the, the place that she takes, uh, Frodo and Sam, to where her mirror is, right? But secondly, of course, there's Karen Emroth, which is called the Heart of Elvendom on Earth, which we'll talk about when we get there, because there'll be a lot to talk about that. Um, anyway, but Ambrosius Aurelianus, I think that that's really interesting, too. Um, Aragorn appears very elven here, he says, but he stands while Arwen and Elrond sit. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so... Yeah, near him sat the Lady Arwen. To his surprise, Frodo saw that Aragorn stood beside her. His dark cloak was thrown back and he seemed to be clad in elven mail and a star shone upon his breast. Um, So yes, he's standing next to Arwen. He doesn't have a seat next to Arwen, right? Um, Yeah, uh, uh, Mad Violinist, I really like that. You know, he says that Aragorn even here is not permitted to be at rest, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's interesting. Um, yeah. Um, (laughs) yeah. Uh, uh, of many names. Excellent Twitch handle or Discord handle, uh, says Aragorn standing makes him look more like a guard than a friend. Yes. I don't know about guard exactly, but more like, more like a servant, right? Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, exactly Fort Dauntless. that's just what i was thinking aragorn is waiting aragorn is waiting on elrond and arwen somewhat like what's about sam wishing to wait on frodo right yes exactly he is more like an attendant that's exactly right iwendillion um uh that's uh that's exactly right um so he's standing so he's he's not he's not seated so yes it's true that he's not joined the family but i don't even know um uh, I don't even know that he, um, uh, I don't even know that he does want to sit. Like, you know, if they were married right now, would he sit? I, I don't, in, in this house, I doubt he would. Um, uh, you know, in this house with Elrond seated there, I don't, I think he would stand. Uh, but you know, that's just a theory. Not really sure. Um, So, yeah, Gogunthir is asking, is this humility from Aragorn or chivalry? Um, uh, Yeah, yeah. Um, Well, too old not to. I I know he grew up there. I'm not saying he's not comfortable at Rivendell. I'm not saying he's... uh, It's not about that, right? What it is about is about showing honor to Elrond, especially here, right? And Arwen, Right. I mean come on he would rather stand next to Arwen than sit next to anybody else right um and i get that seems to me totally uh totally appropriate um yeah yeah um anyway um yeah kit wonders if anyone else gets a chair i, I don't know that they do right i mean there's a few stools remember but um uh but yeah jj is S- noticing that he just happened to be in his freshly polished elven mill when he ran into Arwen. Yeah. Yeah, funny how that happened. Um uh yeah, yeah, exactly. Interesting. Nahor asks a wonderful question and somebody can somebody somebody look this up. We should be able to find those of you who have electronic texts should be able to help us with this. Um and the question is, is this the first time that the narrator refers to him as Aragorn. Frodo saw that Aragorn stood beside her. It might well be. It might well be. I'm trying to think. I mean, of course, the name was only mentioned a couple times. He was routinely referred to as Strider, not only by the Hobbits, but by the narrator as well. uh, Through the, you know, the second half of Book One. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody, um, somebody, help me with that, because um, I'm not sure. But it's an interesting theory, and if so, so let's proceed on the assumption that it's true, and we'll confirm it. Um, but um, uh, Lady Schmabiock asks why the sudden change. I think it's. I think it's. The location. You remember that, um, uh, how he's he doesn't look like Strider anymore. I think it would be inappropriate, in a sense, to refer to him. Now, one thing that has changed, Lincoln, exactly as you say, uh, is Frodo now knows, right, that Aragorn is Dúnadan. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Good. Zephon 12 confirms it. Confirmed first use by narrator. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. So on the one hand, it could be a reflection of Frodo's knowledge, but I think it's clearly more than that. Right. Cause notice of course, of him, we get, uh, of, of him, we get a description, right? Unlike when we get a simile For Elrond, we get nothing for Arwen, which is okay, because we had a bunch of her before, right? And then we get a description, to his surprise, Frodo saw that Aragorn stood beside her. His dark cloak was thrown back, and he seemed to be clad in elven mail, and a star shone on his breast. Okay, so we get a description of the appearance of Aragorn. He certainly does not look like Strider, that disreputable character. Right, uh, that rogue, even that he was pretending to be, right, that he was uh, modeling himself as um, in uh, uh, in in Bree. Um, so that's we're gonna get a couple other moments like this when Aragorn is gonna sort of transform, right? And it's not that like he performs some kind of transformation; it's about what the hobbits, the Hobbit narrator sees when he looks at him, right? Um, and clearly when Frodo is looking there through the frame of the doorway, right, with Elrond and Arwen and now Aragorn standing beside them, this is not Strider standing beside them. It's clearly Aragorn. Um, yeah. See, I don't... Um, It could be, of course, that um, it could be a sign of a different narrator, right? Like, uh, as Bricktail suggests, perhaps Strider is what Frodo calls him, but uh, Findakil is the one who refers to him as Aragorn. Um, But I I don't think so. I don't think so. I think that even Frodo would use different names. I mean, he has different names. It's not... and, And the different names mean different things, right? It's not just that you know you you when we couldn't only be guided by the fact that um frodo thinks of him one way right as strider his friend and you know findigill thinks of him as uh you know uh the king um um yeah yeah um exactly as jj says that's why you have different names because they mean different things um yeah good um so um let's uh Move on to the point. Good, Zephon was just pointing this out. Fourth Dauntless was saying before, was asking the question before. Is he really dressed in elven mail? Is that happening? Is that is that is that is that true? Right, because I mean, look, it says his dark cloak was thrown back, and he seemed to be clad in elven mail, and a star shone on his breast. And Zephon was saying, what's all with what's with all the seeming that happens here? Um, uh. Later on, in, in the next sentence, it's going to seem to Frodo that Arwen turns toward him, right? Um, so is this stuff really happening? Or is this stuff just seeming to happen? Is this a... Is he having, like, a little vision of Aragorn here? Is is Aragorn as he truly is being unfolded to Frodo in a kind of vision? Or... Is or not, or is he actually dressed in elven mail? In which case, why does it say he seemed to be clad in elven mail? It could just be right. As uh, Rococo says, maybe Frodo as narrator is just assuming that he's wearing what he's wearing is indeed elven mail. Like he's not 100% sure if elves actually made that mail. And he's definitely dressed in mail, right? It's it's absolutely mail. Seems like it might be elven mail. And it seems like a star shines on his breast. That's probably not literally true, right? I mean, I assume, you know, like, there's not, like, a star, literally, on Aragorn's breast, right? Um, so that second one is definitely a metaphor, you'd think, right? Um, yeah, yeah, Um it could be a star fashioned out of metal. Shining, right? Because it could be shiny, like a nice silver star. It could be a brooch. It could be a gem, uh, right? Which is shining. Um, which that would be my particular guess. Um, uh, <laughs> Rakentia is uh, uh, is paraphrasing, the way the firelight glints off him, it looks like he's wearing elven mail with a star shining on his breast, but it's hard to tell for sure from this angle. Uh, It could be something as simple as that. Um, uh, Yeah, 4th Dauntless says, Aragorn is later going to wear a gleaming jewel around his neck, and we will later see see a star seem to shine upon his brow. Uh, I break toward a vision of some kind. Yeah, that... and, and when we say vision of some kind, I don't mean that Frodo is seeing something that isn't there. In a sense, of course, it's the opposite to that, right? He's seeing what truly is there, what is hidden by appearances, right? Um, here's the reason that I um, lean towards Jem upon the breast. It's I'm thinking about upon his breast an emerald from Bilbo's poem, you know, that line that Aragorn insisted that Bilbo put in. Uh, and now here we see... Him with the star shining upon his breast. So we had those two gems, in those two significant gems, right, which our attention was drawn to in the poem. One, the emerald, our attention drawn to it by what Bilbo said about, um, about Aragorn's contribution, right, with the green stone on his breast. And the other, of course, the silmaril that gets bound upon his brow, to which our attention is drawn by the fact that it's enormous, shiny, and turns into a star. So... Um, we, we've got the 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 two things kind of combine into the star that seems to shine on the breast uh of Aerondil as it was shining wasn't it shining on the breast of Elwing right as she was coming in <coughs> um yeah yeah so um so again it seems to me that what he's <coughs> he Frodo is seeing Seems to me to be non coincidentally connected to the description of Arendel from the poem that Frodo and we just heard, right? So that Frodo, in looking at Aragorn, he's looking at him now in a new context, right? No longer Strider, he now sees him as Aragorn, um, sees him as the Dunedon, right? Sees him as Elrond, Arwen, Aragorn, right? Clad in elven mail with a star shining on his breast. And in this, it's possible that Frodo is like Frodo's you know, Frodo's mind, Frodo's heart is showing him something that his eyes are not in fact seeing, right? Is Aragorn wearing something sparkly and shiny on his chest? He might well be, right? But that doesn't seem to me to be the really important thing. Right? Um, And It's possible, right, that um, the word seems there. uh, The word seems is there to draw our attention to sort of the uncertainty. In other words, what we're getting here, like the signal that that word seems would then be making is what we're getting here might not just be a physical description. This is not just, and here are the clothes that Aragorn was wearing now, right? But this is a glimpse that Frodo is getting into what he really is now. Um, and yes, fourth unless you're right that we know that Frodo is going to develop the ability to see things that are hidden from others. Absolutely. Um, uh, he's going to get Galadriel with that one, right? When he gets to Lothlorien, it is certainly possible that he is developing a glimmer of that capacity here. Yeah, yeah, that seems to me very, very possible. Okay, good. Matthew Hershenroder says, and uh, Nahor90210 uh, 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 was also saying that um, the text is going to switch from calling Aragorn Strider, the, narr- the, the narrator is going to switch from that to almost exclusively calling him Aragorn um, from now on. Um, the hobbits will still call him, will still address him as Strider. Um, but the narrator is going to call him Aragorn almost all the time after now. That's really interesting, right? He's graduated. And that certainly seems to correlate with Frodo's knowledge, right? Now Frodo knows who he is. Um, yeah, yeah. Rayburns asks, is this a coincidence that all this happens after the song to Elbereth? I don't think it's a coincidence, right? Having heard the song and look. at And having listened to the song and and kind of looked back with longing through the threshold, um, this this is what Frodo sees, right? Frodo sees this vision of first of Elrond and then of Arwen and then of Aragorn uh, together. Um, And, you know, what's the cause and effect? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure if I'm suggesting that Elbereth is sort of answering the hymn, the invocation of her, by granting this kind of insight, right? Perhaps insight would be a better word to use than vision, because vision suggests something a little bit more kind of uh, uh, narrative, perhaps. Um, but um, but yeah... Um, yeah they hear a song of fairy as they are standing on the threshold of fairy Valamoinen says um, yes and then he looks and he sees his old friend transformed and again transformed in a in once more a model that we've seen the elven male with the star shining the elven male too is like Arendal right remember what happened to Arendal right when he gets to Valinor right It's all pimped out, and there is Aragorn, all pimped out with the star shining on his breast. So, um, Aragorn becomes visibly a kind of fulfillment, um, of, you know, connected back to Eärendil. As, remember, Christopher, I think you were the one who was reminding us a couple weeks back that that was the reference to Eärendil that we got before. It was Aragorn who first brought up Eärendil as one of his forefathers, right? And, um, Flamifer, as you were reminding us last week or week before last, um, it has not been explicitly said yet in the text that Elrond is Eärendil's son. We don't know that yet. Um, we do know for sure though that Aragorn is descended from Eärendil, so that connection seems to be one of the things that the text is very, very clearly playing on uh, there in this description. Um, yeah. Yeah, um, should we see a contrast between Aragorn and Elrond as descendants of Eorlend on different paths? Very interesting. I don't see a contrast here. Um, there's nothing in these descriptions in the, the 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 simile that were given of Elrond and the details were given of Aragorn here that suggests to me a separation. Right. So I don't think. Um, I mean, of course. It works that way, right? In some ways, but 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 I don't see the text suggesting that. Um, yeah, um, yeah. Interesting. Fourth Dauntless is saying, frodo has just woken up from a coma." where he passed very close to the other side, right? Or he was almost entirely on the other side, as Gandalf says. Is his perception of both Elrond and Aragorn in this paragraph a relic of that experience? He's seeing both as they are on the other side. Well, Forth Dauntless, I don't think that idea is that crazy at all. Um, We were talking about somebody, I forget who already, uh, was referring to Frodo's... um, Perceptiveness, yeah, fourth It was you, Um house ability to see things that are hidden, right? Um, I, I, I think that that's, um, that's what's happening here, right? He's able to see things that are concealed from others, like Galadriel's ring, right? Um, because he has not. Remember only in Valinor is he going to be... Remember that wonderful discussion that we had about the other side and about the ring drawing a mortal to the other side, right? And the kind of unnatural state of that existing on both sides at once in ways that they're not really supposed to. Um, He's been healed, mostly. But remember, he's not totally healed. Uh, It's not... It's not just the damage that he is going to receive on the path to Mount Doom that he needs to get healed from in Valinor at the end of the book, right? Um, Bilbo didn't undergo nearly the torment that Frodo did as Ringbearer, and yet Bilbo can only be completely, can only be made whole again by going off with Frodo and the rest of them to Valinor, right? Um, So, I... even just being a ring bearer even just wearing the ring right having the ring um the ring is one of the the effects that it appears to be having even the the butter stretched you know scraped over too much bread concept right seems to be related to the same thing right um uh and anyway this does seem to be so this is a long Roundabout way of agreeing with you 4th Dauntless. I think that those two things, those two observations that you made, are directly connected to each other. Um, it does seem to me, we know for a fact that the change in Frodo's vision starts already, right? It starts right now. It doesn't start after he is like trying to recuperate from Mount Doom, right? We will see when soon, not long from now, we get to Moria. Um, Frodo has already his his sight has been changed. He sees in the dark better than everybody else. Right, a small thing, um, but an indication of a change. Right. So yeah, it, the wound on Weathertop and its consequences, uh, and the closeness that it brought him to death, and uh, the extent to which he was already dragged to the other side. He's that the the power of that wound has been broken, and he's been dragged back, but he's not all the way back. Right. It's still it's still sort of there. Um, yeah. Um and yes, the the anniversary of Weathertop is going to affect him. Uh to affect Frodo um strongly later on, right? Um so we know that it's going to have a continuing effect uh in that in that way. Um Okay, cool. Um Interesting. Uh Kimber was pointing out that the first paragraph is all about light and visual things, and the second paragraph is all about sound and auditory things. Um, Frodo's sensory experience as he turns back to the room and then readies to continue leaving. That's really interesting, Kimber. We'll come back to that when we look at the second paragraph. Anyway, let's move on to that last sentence, or last sen- sentence, yeah. Um, they spoke together. And that is Arwen and Aragorn, presumably we're speaking together. And then suddenly it seemed to Frodo that Arwen turned towards him and the light of her eyes fell on him from afar and pierced his heart. So the seams there, it seemed to Frodo that Arwen turned towards him. On the one hand, that could be nothing more than that same experience that I remember having many Mm. times, like at uh, middle school dances, for instance, you know, that like, is she looking at me? It looks like she's looking at me, but I'm not sure she's looking at me. Maybe she's looking at somebody else who's standing near me, right? That seems to be the kind of, not with exactly the same dynamics, but that same kind of thing. uh, That is that Frodo seems to be, I don't know what, hesitant to believe that Arwen is turning towards him specifically, Mm -hmm. right, that she's looking over at him. Um, But Kimber, it does seem quite likely, or at least very possible, that Aragorn has just said something, uh, to Arwen about Frodo. Um, Aragorn may well have seen Frodo leaving, right. And said something to Arwen about Frodo. Um, maybe, you know, remember we were talking about this last time, like, is anybody going to be kind of wondering, right. And, uh, is is there going to be any alarm in the room when Bilbo and Frodo sneak off? Right. And I think perhaps we do get some evidence here that, um, Frodo is not leaving the room undetected, right? After all, uh, that somebody is definitely noticing this. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, good. Um, okay. So let's see. What else was I going to say about that? Um, it seemed to Frodo that Arwen turned towards him and the light of her eyes fell on him from afar and pierced his heart. For Thoughtless, it is an interesting parallel to Galadriel sort of seeing into their hearts when they come before her. But the word pierced seems to me really important here. Um, um, uh, Yeah. Somebody, this would be an interesting search because I have a theory about what this search would disclose. This might not be something that would be real easy to do on the fly here, but um, to look at the, the word pierced in the Lord of the Rings and when it is not referring to an actual, like when it is not a mere piece of physical description like if one physical object isn't piercing another physical object when it's being used metaphorically, right? When it's being used figuratively. Um, my memory suggests to me that the word pierced usually refers to, um, uh, to beauty, right? When, when, when you see something beautiful and it pierces your heart, uh, in that way. Um, that's something which definitely happens, on multiple occasions. Um, so, I would um, it would be it would, it'd be interesting to see if I'm right or not uh, about that. Um, but um, yeah, the eye of Sauron does pierce you too, doesn't it? Does it? Is that word used? Pierced. Maybe it does. Maybe it does. Um, yeah, but anyway, the main point that I would make here is: it possible that she is seeing into her, into his heart? Yeah, that's certainly possible. Not ruling that out in any way. However, um, I don't. This seems this the purport of this sentence seems to be about him, not about her. Right. He's describing his experience rather than of, of being seen by her, of receiving her, her her glance rather than what her glance is up to, right? What it's doing. With Galadriel, we're more interested in what she is doing, right? Well, we're interested in both. Um Yeah, yeah. Um Yeah, so I think I, I think it's a description on that. Flamfer was suggesting that the seeming might not be the seeming to turn toward him, but seeming to pierce. Um. Yeah. Well, since pierced is figurative anyway, they know it seemed to Frodo that she turned towards him, and the light of her eyes fell on him and pierced his heart. I don't think so, because I think I mean, or in a sense, yes. But again, the piercing is obviously figurative anyway. I mean, he has not actually. You know, there's no, uh, there's no, there's no actual puncture wound in the wall of his of his heart um, um, yeah, exactly, Rococo says I I, I, th- I think he'd know if his heart was being pierced, exactly, right, no, yeah his heart is definitely figuratively pierced, right um, it's a spiritual piercing <laughs> exactly <laughs> exactly, Ambrosius is really honest that's it um, now the light of her eyes falling on him from afar uh, Kurtzimus, that's a really interesting question So, uh, in medieval physiology, um, uh, the medieval people believed that sight, like the capacity of sight, was actually like a ray which emerged from your eyes. Like, it, it, it was not, they did not see the eyes as passive receptors of light. They didn't think about light shining into their eyes. It was, they, they saw light coming out and that's extremely intuitive. Um, So intuitive that even though we modern people have believed scientifically for many, many generations now that our eyes are in fact passive receptacles of light, we still use all of the old figurative language. Right. What do you do with a window? You look out the window. You don't stand near the window and let the light, let the light from the window come into your eyes. Right. You look out. Right. You look over. uh, You look around. We talk about our sight as active, um, uh, um, not as passive. Um, And uh, again, in the Middle Ages, they believed that Literally. Right, like that, that, that the rays of light shone out of your eyes. Um, Tolkien totally thinks this way. I'm not saying that he believes that it's true. Um, uh, but this is, um, um, this is, yeah, good, JJ, you're right. Um, we can see remnants of that even in things like Superman's X ray vision being drawn as coming out of his eyes right? Um, yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, um, uh, so anyhow, um, the, right, yeah, it doesn't have to be like if you shoot an actual beam out of your eye like Cyclops from the X-Men, uh, but uh, but even just like things which are merely vision, right? Um, anyway, the point is, I'm not saying that you know, sight is supposed to work that way physiologically in Tolkien's world, except it kind of does. Right? I mean, think about it. Bilbo can see the light from Gollum's eyes from behind his head. Right? There's nothing metaphorical. There's nothing figurative about the light that emerges from Gollum's eyes. They literally glow, not reflectively, but with a light of their own. That's quite common. There are many things, which there are many creatures whose eyes glow with light, actual light shining out of their eyes. Right. And, um, and even more, um, even more importantly, um, JJ just posted a picture of Superman's x-ray vision shining out. Um, uh, but anyway, yeah, even more importantly, um, uh, the, the figurative language, like people's glances are often coming out, like, just like Frodo is being pierced here. Um, you know, it's definitely good. A green great dragon is remembering when the mouth of Sauron, um, uh, uh sort of uh, you know, flinches back from Aragorn's gaze. Yeah, exactly. The The gaze of a strong-willed person is very... It, it, it hits you, right? again, like something is coming out from them in hitting you, right? Um, that is so, so common as to be almost universal uh, in Tolkien's world. Um, so that's just kind of something that we have to... Um, uh, something we have to get used to. Right. Good. Keen is an adjective, Kurtzimus, that is often uh, described, or is often attached to people's gazes. Right. Um, uh, yes. If your gaze is keen or, or, or your, your glance is keen, which means it cuts. Right. It cuts through things. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Good. Good. OK. So. Anyway, Kurtzamas, thank you for bringing that up, because it's a really important thing. In fact, you know, that would be a really cool topic for a presentation at a regional moot, just saying. um, To look at, like, the gaze uh, in uh, in Tolkien and the relationship between, like, the gaze and will, uh, I think would be really, really cool uh, to look at. Anyway, okay. Um, So the light of her eyes is falling on him from afar. And it's piercing his heart. Um, I still think that the seams in that second sentence is primarily a bit of humility on Frodo's part. Um, That is, he doesn't assume that she's totally looking at him. Okay. Second paragraph, we're not making much progress towards our three uh, slides here tonight, are we? But we're gonna this is the longest one. Okay, he stood still enchanted, while the sweet syllables of the elvish song fell like clear jewels of blended word and melody. Um, I love the simile of that the syllables of the song are like jewels of blended word and melody, And if that sentence doesn't say, "You did read the Elvish poem, didn't you? right? You read it aloud, right? If you didn't read it aloud, go back and read it again, right? That is totally what that sentence says to me. Um, uh, just so that you... Um, um, yeah. Okay. Good. Good. Oh, excellent. Matt says that there are, there are three gazes uh, piercing Frodo. Three gazes pierce Frodo. The Witch King at Weathertop, Arwen here, and Elrond at the Council. Okay. Alright. Good. Good. Um Yeah, yeah. Exactly, Lady Shmebuach. The is just won't let you skim over the poetry. It won't even let you not read it aloud, right? That's the really important thing here. You need to hear it. Um because they are blended word and melody. Um He stood still enchanted. I think is this a literal enchantment? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it is a literal enchantment. He's being enchanted by the song that he's hearing, again, right, by listening to the elves sing I Elbereth Gilthonio, and by this vision that he's had, not only of Arwen and her gaze, um, but of Elrond and Aragorn too, right? His, this is, and again, this Fourth Dauntless is bringing me back to Elrond and his, er, or sorry, to Aragorn and his seeming armor and star shining, right? Um, is that part of the enchantment, right? And again, like, do I think it's implausible that Aragorn is dressed in literal armor? No, he may very, very well be in armor. He might even have a sparkly jewel on his breast. And yet, again, sort of the true being of all these things is being revealed to Frodo. I think. I think it is part of the enchantment. And in that way, maybe that is the causal link, therefore, between I uh, Albert Gilthoniel and this, right? Um, uh, it is having. It is ha- this is the enchanted effect it is having on him here. Um, yeah, yeah, um, exactly. So the whole face-like summer, clad in elven male, pierced heart thing all takes place in a moment mid-song. Yes, exactly, exactly the sweet syllables of the Elvish song are still falling like queer jewels of blended word and melody when he's having, when, when, when we're getting that paragraph from before. So we had the song itself, and then we get these first two paragraphs of prose um, are, like, during that song. Like, meanwhile, while Frodo was hearing this, this is what was happening. That is very much how, uh, how, I, how I read that. Um, okay. Uh, it is a song to Elbereth, said Bilbo. They will sing that and, and other songs of the blessed realm many times tonight. Come on. Um, <laughs> yeah, for Thoughtless thinks that uh, Bilbo's gloss is a little unnecessary. Um, again, this seems to me like Bilbo's observation. <laughs> it's hard for me not to read that again as like, you know... Elven poetry for dummies, right? Um, he gives us a poem in Elvish. We talked about this last time, that that's a bold move, right? And um, and I mean for Tolkien, not for the elves, right? but for Tolkien to present uh, this, not only an embedded poem, which many people skip the poems anyway, um, but an embedded poem, not even in English, right? Which it would seem we would be doubly likely to not read, right? Um, But just in case we didn't, he cues us, right, about those sweet syllables and what they should be like, right, Uh, if we're doing them properly. And then just in case we weren't paying a lick of attention, Bilbo says, in like the Cliff's Notes version of the song, it's a song to Elbereth, right? Um, So it does kind of seem to me here that Tolkien is ensuring that there is no chance that we miss anything. About that, um, you know, we have to uh, we have to know. It, it seems important, right, to acknowledge that fact. Uh, it's a song to Elbereth. This is going to be important later. Um, they will sing that and other songs of the blessed realm many times tonight. Um. Yeah, Turambar says, "Was the song trying to keep Frodo inside the threshold of fairy?" It seems to do. Uh, at any rate, yeah, I mean, in a sense it, it it it's hard to leave right it's like physically hard for Frodo to leave the hall of fire um absolutely um, yeah, and it is definitely a transition back into our world, right um they will sing that and other songs of the blessed realm notice. Now, Songs of the Blessed Realm, that probably means a song... Does it mean a song about the Blessed Realm? Or does it mean a song from the Blessed Realm? Like, imported from the Blessed Realm by the Nolor? Yeah, good. Matt says the fact that it's called a song as opposed to a hymn um, uh, is an interesting choice because it implies a familiarity... Rather than sort of more distant worship, yeah, yeah, I agree um, yeah, I always um I always assumed it meant written there too, Simon, that was always my thought um, uh, songs of the blessed realm, like um uh, yeah, straight out of Eleanor, right um, uh, that's that would be the soundtrack for the rest of the evening here. Um, Yeah. Now, but Mike, see, that's the other thing that I was thinking. Mike says, isn't this exact song about being across the sea from the Blessed Realm? It's true that they couldn't have sung it in exactly that same way in Valinor, right? Um, At least the end of the verse would have to be adapted, in fact. Yes. Yes. Um, but that's okay. <laughs> Remember, we saw a different version of this also when Gilder was singing it back in the Shire, and we got it in, you know, translated, right? We got it in English. Um, it's not a parody, JJ, of the Valinorian version. It's just another verse, right? Um, I think that this is a long song, a hymn of praise to Elbereth, which to which they have been adding verses ever since they left Valinor. It may well be that this song is kind of like, you know, a name, uh, you know, an Entish name, right? Which tells the story uh, of the, you know, of the thing that it describes. I think that that's, uh, that seems very likely. Um, Yeah, yeah. So so yes exactly So I mean this verse they wouldn't have sung this verse certainly not in exactly this form uh, back then but um, uh, but again yeah that doesn't that to me that doesn't seem to exclude it from being a song from the blessed realm in that way Um, yeah okay Um, so the come on right um the juxtaposition there is really kind of interesting, right? They will sing that and other songs of the blessed realm many times tonight. That seems like a good reason to stay, <laughs> right? Um uh, his transition to come on is a little bit, I don't want I don't want to say jarring. It's not exactly jarring, but it's it's certainly interesting, right? It shows Bilbo's familiarity with this, right? Oh yeah, they're going to be singing they' they're always doing this, right? Um, but Frodo's never heard this before, not here, not like this, right? Um, but Bilbo's encouraging him to uh, to yeah, to break the spell, exactly, torah Um and uh, uh, and keep going. Um Well, let's look and see where they go so that we can better judge Bilbo's desire to uh keep Frodo moving. He led Frodo back to his own little room. It opened onto the gardens and looked south across the ravine of the Bruinen. There they sat for some while, looking through the window at the bright stars above the steep climbing woods and talking softly. They spoke no more of the small news of the Shire far away nor of the dark shadows and perils that encompassed them, but of the fair things they had seen in the world together, of the elves, of the stars, of trees, and the gentle fall of the bright year in the woods. Okay. They go back to his own little room. So we've left the Hall of Fire, we've left that... You know, the heart of Elronddom on earth, right? We've left, uh, you know, the, where they're singing songs of the blessed realm. And we've gone to Bilbo's little room. So we've moved from the big world to the little world, from the world of not only the big people, but the the great people, right? And we've come back to the world of a little people. And I agree uh, Carita, this is a this is a really sweet moment. This is a, this is just a beautiful paragraph, right? But notice, Bilbo's own little room opens onto the gardens, right? So they gave him a room which opens onto gardens. Remember what's Gandalf's first words uh, to Bilbo in chapter one? of the book, right? When they're sitting down together again. How bright your garden looks, he says to Bilbo. Yes, I'm very fond of it, says Bilbo. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Um, This is very thoughtful, very kind of the elves to give him a room like this that opens onto the gardens. They've given him a room on the ground level, right, where he will be most comfortable, um, and one which opens out onto the gardens, which aren't exactly like his gardens back in bag end but is going to be some kind of substitute for that right um and look south across the ravine of the bruinen so they're looking acro- now the ravine of the bruinen isn't exactly the boundary of rivendell right i mean the crossing of the bruinen was the boundary and so i'm still i still sort of associate it with that right um because of the whole flight to the Ford business, you know, that we got before. Um, but um, um, anyway, so it's one of the things that I think of. Um, but it's certainly it's a room which is Bilbo's little hobbit room opening out onto gardens, but there's also the ravine of the Bruin which sounds much more grand. Right? Um, They didn't want him throwing the dishes out the window, says the Green Grey Dragon. Absolutely. As hobbits are wont to do, if they have any stairs. Um, Yeah, so I mean, is this... uh, That description, doesn't it sound like the perfect little Tooken Baggins room? Right? Just enough Baggins... uh, It's just enough Baggins-ish, right? With its own little gardens, and also... uh, just enough Took, right, looking south across the ravine of the Bruinen, right? Uh, That does really, Kurtzimus, as you say, seem to suit him uh, perfectly. Um, There they sat for some while, looking through the window at the bright stars above the steep climbing woods, and talking softly. Um, What are they talking about? Remember they were having real news before, right? They were uh, uh, they were telling Bilbo about everything that had happened in the Shire since he left. They spoke no more of the small news of the Shire far away, nor of the dark shadows and perils that encompassed them. So they don't talk about what was. They don't talk about what's happening. right? They don't talk about current events. They don't talk about previous events. But of the fair things they had seen in the world together of the elves, of the stars, of trees, and the gentle fall of the bright year in the woods. Now, syntax issue. I can't help but notice that he breaks the parallelism at the end of the sentence. right? It's a carefully parallel sentence up until that point. Um, They spoke no more of the small news of the Shire far away, nor of the dark shadows and perils that encompassed them, but of the fair things they had seen in the world together. Of the elves, of the stars, of trees, and the gentle fall of the bright year in the woods. Exactly, Mike. No of. Why isn't it of the stars, of trees, and of the gentle fall of the bright year in the woods? I mean, that entire sentence from they spoke no more of the small news has been a series of parallel prepositional phrases, not all of the same length, of course, um, a series of parallel prepositional phrases, except the end and the gentle fall of the bright year in the woods. Um good. Rinroos is asking about the comma then between trees and and um well, that's exactly what I'm thinking too. without an of in the, for that last thing, right the last item in the list, the gentle fall of the bright year in the woods, then technically the and. Is not linking all of the prepositional phrases together, um, but it is, would be a compound object of the preposition of trees and the gentle fall of the bright year in the woods, but the comma breaks it up, right? Uh, remember, and by the way, this is why Oxford, Oxford commas are necessary, and there's not even a cause for debate. It's a silly debate. Um, because commas and, and conjunctions have different jobs. Indeed, their jobs are diametrically op- opposed. They have completely opposite jobs. The word and, right, uh, a conjunction like that, its job is to join words together. Conjunctions join words together. That's what they do, Right. Commas separate words or phrases or clauses, right? That's what they do. Um, that's the job of commas and the job of conjunctions. That's why you need both in a list. You need the conjunction in order to to bring together all of the items on the list. And you need the commas to keep all the items in the list separate from each other, including the last two, if you want those two to be separate items on your list. Uh, so, again... It's just, it's not, it's not a style question, it's not a preference, it is a logical necessity based on how punctuation and conjunctions work in the English language. Um, so, anyway, that comma, therefore, is separating trees from the gentle fall of the bright year in the woods. Now, um, uh, what, is, uh, um, what is the significance here? Um. Well. Looking at the so we have a series of parallel Phrases, as I said, right, all those ofs, which start from the beginning. But first of all, notice that not all ofs are treated similarly here, right? That is to say, they spoke no more of the small news of the shire far away, nor of the dark shadows and perils that encompassed them, but of the fair things they had seen in the world together. Those three are clearly parallel, right? They spoke no more of this, nor of that, but of this. That the logical flow of those phrases, right? They spoke no more of this, nor of that, but of this, um, is the that's the that's the logical um, uh, structure of that sentence. The other of's are more like a positives but of the fair things they had seen in the world together ink which include such diverse elements as elves stars trees and the gentle fall of the bright year in the woods right um that's that's uh exactly mike the elves are the first of the examples we get of those things right um, so as I said, the, it's not just like one big, huge parallel structure where everything is even, right? Cause it's not even. And the other thing is that the gentle fall of the bright year in the woods. I mean, this is going to sound really simplistic, but it's, um, um, uh, uh, but, oh, sorry. Uh, 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 a Gathian, a Gathian spy. I'm not sure how to pronounce your, your name. I see your comments. I see your comments. Um, uh, so yeah, no, I, 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 I hear you. I just, I'm I'm trying to respond to the comments of many people all at once here. Um, uh, Yeah. Okay. Um, So yeah, there's, yeah, there's, sorry, Agathian Spy, you must be new. Um, I can see the Twitch chat and I will sometimes interact with you there. Most of the people I'm interacting with are in Discord so that there isn't the lag, right? Um, So that's why, yeah. But anyway, I do see you. Um, Anyway, there it is. Okay, um, so yeah, the problem is not that I'm interacting with no one. The problem is that I'm interacting with lots of people. Okay, so anyway, where am I going? Uh, yeah, gentle fall, the bright year in the woods. So I was, the, thing, the really simplistic thing that I was about to say that I interrupted myself with um, is the length of the phrase, right? Um, the elves, the stars, trees, right? Those are short things. We don't get any description, right? and we get any other you know, subordinate phrases there, right? Um, whereas the gentle fall of the bright year in the woods is more in in its length and in its structure parallel to the small news of the Shire far away or the dark shadows and perils that encompassed them or the fair things they had seen in the world together, the gentle fall of the bright year in the woods. You hear the parallel there, right? So it's almost like we get we get the three things no more of this nor of that but of this then we get the f- a few examples elves stars trees and then we get almost like a fourth thing right um which is set apart through the lack of parallelism right um and the gentle fall of the bright year in the woods and it does make it sound a little bit like um uh, Simon as you're saying it it almost reads as a sentence fragment yeah the break from parallelism I mean it's it's a syntactic flaw I mean it's that's a you know if I were grading a paper I'd circle it and be like oh yeah fix this right but um I am this is not a sentence that sounds like it just got away from Tolkien. This is a very carefully constructed sentence. And so therefore, I'm not going to proceed on the uh, presumption that it's just a mistake. It might be, um, and a mistake that he just missed every time he revised it, but I don't think so. Um, or at least, if it is, that's not interesting to talk about. And uh, if it's not a mistake, it is interesting to talk about. So I'm going to proceed on the assumption that it's interesting to talk about. Um So, um, anyway, so the, um, Matt, you were saying before that it does, it does, um, suggest or or one of the things that's different about it is that now all of a sudden we're talking about time, right? Like the, the items in this thing are not like the other, right? That is, if we just think of the things after seen in the world, the things they'd seen in the world together. Colon, there's not a colon, but like uh, elves, stars, trees, and and the gentle fall of the bright year. There's one of those things, which is not like the other, right? Elves, stars, and trees, for instance, are all things that you can see in the world, right? They are all fair things that they have seen in the world together, right? Not only have they both seen them in the world, they've both seen them together. Right? They have shared experiences of elves, stars, and trees, and then there's the gentle fall of the bright year in the woods, that also they have seen. Metaphorically, right? Um, but uh, yeah, that that also they have uh, they have seen, um, but the, but not in the same way, right? It's or rather, it's a different kind of thing. But now notice this other thing, right? Notice that. Um, remember how he said that last phrase sounds like it's more parallel with the phrases at the beginning of the sentence, right? Um, there's a kind of um, uh, there's a kind of time dimension to this whole sentence if you think about it, right? Um, they spoke no more of the small news of the Shire far away. That is the things in the past. Remember they were briefing Bilbo about what's gone on for the last seventeen years back in the Shire. Right. So they didn't speak any more of the past, nor of the dark shadows and perils that encompassed them. That is of the present. Right. But of things initially sort of outside of time. Right. Things that are not connected to time of the elves, of the stars, of the trees. And then the last thing is the gentle fall of the bright year in the woods. The fourth thing that they have seen is time the passing of time itself, and from that way, looking towards the future, right? Um, So you've got, there's, there's, this whole sentence has a kind of orientation in time in that way. Um, And the sentence that, or the phrase that looks towards the future is definitely positioning us in the fall. I mean, it is fall, right? It's October, uh, at the time when this is happening, and they 're looking out at the steep climbing woods right outside the outside the doors of Bilbo 's room um, so um, so anyway they what they 're seeing is not just the woods in autumn, right Notice that the woods are pretty far from the primary thing that they 're seeing, and the fall what fall? The autumn? No. The fall of the bright year. Where is the bright year falling? In the woods. Right? Um, and I agree, several of you were talking about bright. Um, bright is a really interesting adjective, isn't it? Um, that's actually, boy, the word bright would be another really good topic for a uh, for a presentation at a regional moot, come to think of it. Um, just do a presentation on the ways in which the adjective bright is used uh, in... Uh, Uh, in The Lord of the Rings. That would be really cool. But anyway, um, the year is bright, or rather the year has been bright, but it's falling gently. The year is gently falling in the woods, makes us now picture literally leaves falling from trees in the woods. Um, um, So absolutely, very strongly suggestive of autumn. Absolutely, yeah. No, that's, that's... The thing that's kind of being described, right? But it's also kind of not just talking about the falling leaves, right? Um, It's the fall of the bright year. It's the year that's falling, right? Yeah, exactly. So it's, um, again, it's totally an autumnal metaphor. Absolutely. An autumn metaphor. No question. Um, But that thing, the autumn, the future... The the future-oriented phrase, but that's the part that's not parallel, right? Um, Does it suggest—this might be going too far, but it just occurred to me. Remember what the of refers to? The repeated of in this sentence all goes back to the verb spoke. They spoke of— Right, these are the topics of their conversation. They spoke not of this nor of that, but of this, including of this, right? Of elves, of stars, of trees, and then we're not told that they spoke of the gentle fall of the bright year in the woods. Are they not speaking of it? Are they avoiding that subject? Is that subject the subject of the future? the late October kind of future um, that there. Uh, yeah. Simon, I totally agree. We need to diagram this sentence. It would be a good one. Lots of hang, lots of danglies in this sentence, but, um, but yeah. Do you see what I mean? Like it's that last phrase should be tied to the main verb. They spoke, but it's not tied to the main verb. Right. Again, the parallelism fails, conspicuously fails. I mean, it's pretty darn conspicuous when you have parallel phrases which succeed in being correctly parallel one, two, three, four, five, six times already. Right. And on the seventh, uh, it fails of its of its uh, of its parallelism. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um Yeah. Interesting. That's really cool. I never noticed that before. The lack of parallelism, I mean, it's very striking. Back up now and look at the bigger picture. I know hard to imagine, right? Bigger picture than like the syntax. Um, the, think about the significance of their subjects of conversation, right? Having left the Hall of Fire, having left the Elvish enchantment of the Songs of the Blessed Realm, which will be sung many times, um, having left that vision of Arwen and Elrond and Aragorn, having, um, you know, Arwen's gaze, which pierces the heart, um, you know, the experience that Frodo had as a, you know, when he was enchanted, all those things, um, having left all that behind what do we get instead, right? What does he do instead? We don't... We're exchanging that not for hobbitry, right? News, real news, like before. We're not exchanging it for worry or even speculation about, you know, what's going on. Instead, it's about the appreciation of beauty, the fair things they had seen in the world together. They've just left Elvish Enchantment behind, right? They're going to sing many songs of the Blessed Realm tonight. Or I'm going to sing that and other songs of the Blessed Realm many times tonight. Come on! Let's get out of here, right? Says Bilbo. So that they can talk about elves together, right? Um... They talk about the elves, and of the stars, and of trees. Uh, I wonder if, of course, you'll notice another way in which there's a a small break in parallelism there, is that he doesn't say of the trees, of the elves, of the stars, of the trees. Um, I wonder if he broke that parallelism so it didn't sound like they're talking about the trees, of like the Trees, capital T, right, of Valinor. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, um, and the gentle fall of the bright year in the woods. Um, yeah, great. Um, I just, I just love the end of that sentence. Um, the context of all that autumnal imagery at the end. Right. Talking about or if they're actually talking about or is the idea of the gentle fall of the bright year in the woods just kind of part of their talk or emerging from their talk um, as they, you know, are under the late October uh, uh, woods steep climbing above them on the slopes. Um, But the gentle fall of the bright year, it's not sad. Right it's not tragic, it's not gloomy it's in the context of the fair things they have seen in the world right, the gentle fall of the bright year in the woods is beautiful it is a fair thing elves, stars, trees the gentle fall of the bright year um, is the bright year the time of the elves, Kurtzimus asks which is a great question um yeah, yeah um, uh Quite possibly, quite possibly, um, yeah. In this context, in the Rivendell context, and given the you know the elves that they're just talking about, it feels that way. Um, okay, well let's um, let's keep going. Because this is our last slide, at last there came a knock on the door. "Begging your pardon," said Sam, putting in his head. "But I was just wondering if you would be wanting anything." "And begging yours," Sam Gamgee replied. Bilbo. "I guess you mean that it is time your master went to bed." "Well, sir, there is a council early tomorrow, I hear, and he only got up today for the first time." "Quite right," Sam laughed. Bilbo. "You can trot off and tell Gandalf that he has gone to bed." Good night, Frodo. Bless me, but it has been good to see you again. There are no folk-like hobbits, after all, for a real good talk. I am getting very old, and I began to wonder if I should live to see your chapters of our story. Good night. I'll take a walk, I think, and look at the stars of Elbereth in the garden. Sleep well. Okay. Um, yeah, Kurtzimus, you see how well Bilbo reads between the lines here, right? Bilbo not only sees through the I was just wondering if you would be wanting anything line, right? Not only does he clearly perceive that Sam is gently hinting that Frodo should get to bed, he also picks up on the fact that uh, he is certainly going to, you know, meant to report back to Gandalf about what he saw. Um, so, uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um I like by the way, Bilbo's use of his full name, and begging yours, Sam Gamgee, I guess you mean that it is time your master went to bed. um I take the use of his first and last name to be a teasingly scolding tone, right um kind of like when you call your kids with their middle names, right um. And begging yours, Sam Gamgee, I guess you mean that it is time your master went to bed, said Bilbo, uh, you know, with a, a gentle and teasing rebuke, um, for Sam's slight and not very serious, uh, bit of, uh, indirection, right, of, uh, of, um, not deception, that's a little too strong for it, right, but, um. Uh, now you're right, Lincoln. Not quite his full name. He doesn't call him Samwise Gamgee, right? He would have been in even more trouble then. Um, but um, but yeah, Sam's you know Sam was um, being diplomatic and polite, right? And uh, uh, and and Bilbo is again, I clearly teasingly calling him on it. Um, Bilbo laughs uh, clearly affectionately, right at uh, both at Sam's solicitousness for Frodo, right um, Sam's very practical reminder that he only just got up today for the first time, and there's a council early tomorrow, right, so he really needs to rest now, right uh, you know, for lots of reasons um, yeah, yeah. Um yeah. Um and Carita, you're right that Bilbo is he takes his lighthearted tone and begins to say some fairly not grim but fairly serious things, right? Um Good night, Frodo. Bless me, but it has been good to see you again. There are no folk like hobbits after all for a real good talk. I am getting very old and I began to wonder if I should live to see your chapters of our story. Um I didn't know if I was going to die of old age before you got here, right? Now, on the one hand that's also kind of a teasing thing to say, right? It took like took you long enough, Frodo. Um but you know, he's um even noticed the way that he he makes it less personal, less emotional, right? He doesn't say I begin to wonder if I if I would ever see you again before my death, right? He doesn't say anything like that. Just if I should live to see your chapters of our story. Um uh he's written. He's not only like lived his life and had his adventure, he's written his chapters of their story. Um Yeah, yeah. Um and yes, Kurtzimus, I agree, the significance of the hour story is really interesting, right? He he had hoped to live long enough to see the chapters of their story together. Notice one of the implications of that, right? It's not just that he, wants to, he had wanted to see Frodo again. It is that, but it's more than that. He wanted to see Frodo's um, chapters of their combined story written. In other words finished and done and hopefully happily done like his right he wants frodo to come back again and for them to write his chapters of their collective story so that then they can both retire together right um yeah yeah um and he wants to see how it ends Torah and absolutely absolutely um I'll take a walk, I think, and look at the stars of Elbereth in the garden. And I think Simon, I think it was you who was um, uh, talking about the clear parallels here, right? Um, the think about the Elbereth thread which has run through this chapter, right? Especially the latter parts of this chapter, Bilbo's song, right? Um, and Elbereth's role. Remember, she's the only other named person besides well, Elwing is, but the only named person in Valinor, right? Um, everyone else is vague except for except for Elbereth. Um, so we got Elbereth, uh, uh, um, you know, setting up Eorindil's boat, and then we got, of course, the the Elbereth song, right, which Bilbo draws further attention to. And then they've just been talking about stars, and now he's going to go out and look at the stars of Elbereth in the garden, right? Um, Bilbo's little walk in the garden under the stars by himself there at the end, it's like his own little hobbity hymn to Elbereth, right? Um, He's not going to sing a song of the Blessed Realm, right? That's not how he does it. Um, But yet there's still what seems to sound almost like a purposeful communing with Elbereth um, by Bilbo there. Um, Yeah, that's an interesting comment, Arden Crayon. Arden Crayon says, Bilbo has exchanged the hard immortality of the ring for the soft immortality of a shared story. That's really cool. I like that. Um the other thing I'd say Ard Crayon is again I'm thinking about the parallel we were making between Bilbo and Arendal in this chapter, right? Arendal earns hard immortality too. And Bilbo's soft immortality of the shared story is uh well much softer than the kind of uh than the kind of immortality that Arendal earns, right? Uh and with a much smaller price tag. Yeah. Yeah. the Velore, that I think is a really good comment. Uh, so worship doesn't seem to come naturally to hobbits. They seem even a little embarrassed to talk about it directly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. Reverence, that kind of reverence is not a thing that the hobbits do normally. This, you know, I'll take a walk, in, I think, and look at the stars of Elbereth in the garden. If you think about it, that's... Can you think of many other sentences uttered by hobbits in the Lord of the Rings, which comes closer to devotion, like religious devotion or worship? I mean, it's unusual. Um, there are other people. Who, I mean, again, we've had the the, the the Elvish hymn to Elberth, both what Gilder was singing and what we heard in the uh, in the hall, especially once we uh, worked our way through the translation. It's um, it's um you know that's openly worshipful right of elbereth um yeah uh Belong-Smon says uh, uh other than e bombs yeah true but even there that's not exactly devo- devotional i mean when 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 frodo invokes elbereth and in the fair at the ford there is a kind of um kind of devotional element to that to the invocation right um but even that isn't exactly... It's one thing to kind of ally yourself, right? To say... I mean, it's important what he did, right? He's sort of taken a stand and he's like, I'm here, I'm on the side of El... I'm, I'm on Elbereth and Luthien's side, right? This bank of the river is Elbereth and Luthien's bank of the river, and I'm over here and you're over there. Um, And that's important in everything, but it's still, it's not devotional, right? It's still not that... It's not like he's having a moment with Elbereth and it kind of sounds like Bilbo is meaning to have a moment with Elbereth here in the garden. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Um, Good. For thoughtless, I agree. We will see the same kind of discomfort um, uh, at the window to the West. Yeah. When the soldiers of Gondor are all showing their devotion, right? Um, Having a moment of, of explicit worship, and the hobbits are kind of uncomfortable and not sure what to do. Yeah, yeah, good. Um, let's see. What else was I going to say? Something else I was going to say. Oh yeah, just thinking of the hobbitry again with Sam. You can trot off. The trot off line is another last teasing of uh, of Sam, right? Treating him as a messenger to tease him for having been, well, you know, having made himself a messenger, right? Gandalf's proxy here in the room. You can trot off and tell Gandalf that he has gone to bed. Um, yes, I see through you, and I'm gently teasing you for that. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, trot trot off in your wooden shoes, Mike, exactly. Um, yep. Yep. Yeah, good. Yeah, Forthalus says that he thinks, uh, Bilbo still thinks of Sam as a small child. Yeah, possibly so. And nothing could be likelier, right? Um, if, you know, Frodo is Bilbo's primary protege, Sam was his star student, right? Um, the, um, uh, the, 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 but, but clearly of a younger generation than Frodo. Um, yeah, yeah, and Sam is still Bilbo's student in some ways, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, that's why I really love... This is something we just noticed in Sound Defeated in the Mythgard Academy when we were discussing that book uh, just a few months back. Um, in the first draft, the first time that uh, Tolkien wrote through the Many Partings chapter in The Return of the King, um, when he got to the part where uh, Bilbo was saying goodbye to Frodo and Sam and the rest of them and giving presents, right? Um, of course, you'll remember in the published text, he gives Sam... Uh, the very last of the Smaug vintage, almost the last of the Smaug vintage, right? He gives him gold in case he thinks about getting married. Um, In the very first draft, he gives Sam books of lore, um he like explicitly makes Sam, you know, his literary executor. He 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 gives him uh some of his Elvish lore books. Um and I loved that. I was that's it's one of the there are a few times when we're, you know, reading the earlier drafts and I'm like, Oh, I wish he'd kept the original thing. That's even better. I like the money the, the money, the gold to get married. It's really cute. Um, but I like the Bilbo passing down to Sam his books of Elvish lore even better. I think that's Super awesome. Um, Okay. Anyway. um, Yeah. Okay. So, and that's it. Sleep well is the end of the chapter. So after only 32 or is it 33 sessions, we... (laughs) Oh, man. I was wondering about this. Okay. Hang on. Let's see if I can let's see if I can put this on screen and make it bigger. Hang on. So here's our Discord chat, and okay, thank you, Evil Doctor Cannon. So here's our her plot for uh, pages, uh, uh, weeks per chapter, right? So the weeks per chapter is the the blue lines. We had achieved a, a new high at I think 16 weeks to do the flight to the Ford, and now uh, a new uh we doubled our old top uh to get up there interesting that the pages cuz this is a long chapter so it wasn't just me i was thinking like it's not totally just my fault right um that there's a slight drop in pages per week we 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 dropped from one page per week in in flight to the ford down to uh a little bit less maybe you know 3 quarters of a page per week uh, in, uh, in, in many meetings, but the, the drop down in pages per week is not nearly as sharp as the rise up. Uh, so partly you see, it's not my fault. It's due to the, uh, this, the length you see of, um, of many meetings now. So this leads then to the logical question, uh, evil Dr. Cannon, um, at the pace that we achieved there in many meetings, how many weeks can we expect for the Council of Elrond? This is the great speculation that people have been having. Um, and I've been saying now for a little while that um, I didn't think we're going to necessarily go slower in the Council of Elrond, but of course there are a lot of pages. Um, so, um, so yeah, I wonder... Um, It's 32 pages versus 20, yeah. So at least at least 50% more. So the over-under's got to be somewhere around 45 to 50 w- sessions for the Council of Elrond. Yeah. Okay, Fourth Thoughtless is putting his money on 42 weeks. Okay. See, well, exactly. Arden Crayon, there's, it, uh, the Council of Elrond is much more prosy, and that's why I've been kind of thinking all along... Um, we will likely, uh... I think... Okay, so my prediction is the red line is gonna is gonna go up, I think, in the Council of Elrond. But it is gonna be longer, of course, because it's significant. It is by a good bit the longest chapter in The Lord of the Rings. So, um... Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah, I think it's gonna be... You think we'll be finished before the snow melts? Where? I mean, maybe in the Arctic Circle, but, uh... 50, I mean, even 45 weeks is the better part of a year. I mean, the question isn't really, are we likely to finish before the snow of this year melts, but are we going to finish before the snow of next year flies is really the question, I think. Um, Yes. In northern Canada. Yeah. Yeah. I think. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, (laughs) Anyway. All right. So Frodo definitely needs to rest up before we get to the Council of Elrond because we got plenty to do before that. Alright. Thank you everybody for joining me tonight. Now I'm gonna, we're going to continue. We're going to do our field trip now. Um, but this concludes our uh, text discussion as we have triumphantly concluded chapter one of book two. And thanks. I, I have been thinking about that graph evil, Dr. Cannon. So thank you for updating that. Um, and um, great. So uh, let's uh, let's uh, go on through. So, I'm going to say goodbye to the folks on Twitter who have been looking at me at a weird angle tonight as I'm looking at my totally different hardware setup. I'll try to see if I can improve that moving forward. Not quite sure how that's going to work, but anyway. Okay, uh, so feel free to join us you. Okay, and we are going to. Good evening. To... Good evening, Valori. And let's first just check and make sure everybody can hear Valori on, through the Twitch feed there, and I'm going to expand this, and (laughs) there we go. Alright, alright. Okay. Excellent. Very good. Okay, got the confirmation on Twitch and Discord. Excellent. Oh, man. Hang on, except now my, uh, my game here seems to be frozen. That's not so good. Oh no! Tried to expand it, and it instead seems to have... like Get gone. away for
1: the hamster, run on the wheel. Died the death.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, I am running quite a few things at a time here. Tonight. <laughs>
1: <laughs> a laptop usually turns into a hot plate about now, but... Darn it!
0: Um... Okay. Um, oh, wait. Something just happened. I don't know what just happened. Oh, dear. Um, well, that's a little awkward.
1: Yeah, it might be frozen in game. Yeah. Might be, might be best to X out and come back in. Uh,
0: that's what I'm thinking, let's see. Yeah,
2: you're gonna want to restart the game.
0: Yeah, oh, definitely gonna restart the game. I think the problem went deeper than the game. Okay, It's no coming problem. from
1: inside the house! Yeah, yeah. Uh, not more yet tonight, Brick Tales.
0: No, not Um, warrior tonight. We're not there yet. Yeah. We're taking our time discussing, looking at the Arid Lewin because we will, well, have plenty of time to carry on discussing, so...
1: Quite. Um, The goal for tonight was Noglund, I believe.
0: That's it. That's it. Now my goal is just to, like, successfully reboot things there without having to cut off the stream and start it again. Um, Yeah, okay. Wait, whoa! That's progress. Whoa! Straight back into the game, for real? Huh. Wow.
2: Wow. You didn't even fall offline.
0: Amazing. I don't understand that. Huh. Can you move? Okay. Yeah, I can move. Let's see. Will this will this work now? That's the problem. Okay, it's confusing it. Let me do a different thing then. Except it's already confused it. Now that I've ascertained what is confusing it. There,
2: he is. there you go. You're confusing the polarity Bob.
0: Yeah. I'm definitely. I'll reverse confusing
2: the
1: polarity. It.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I just have to reverse the polarity and then it'll be fine, right? That's how you fix things.
1: wobbly, wobbly webby debby.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um So, by the way, uh you, you got um I think you were noticing that the uh uh my the the frame of my like the frame is kind of weird on my picture, right how my I'm, like, super narrow here. Yeah. Um,
2: I didn't notice it, but I am noticing it now that you mentioned it.
0: The reason that that happened uh, is because I'm using a different webcam. And so, uh-huh. like, it's in order to get it to... And it's, like, further away. So, therefore, like, my green screen is, like, only... Like, it kind of projects back to... You. So like in order to not get the door on the other side of my green screen and everything else, I had to kind of compress it in and it just looks stranger because the other one was just closer to me and at a different angle.
2: Having um, recently I, rearranged my desk in my webcam, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I'm trying to, and of course the, uh, the, the little sign Eagle that I have put above my head, my logo there makes it look even, uh, even more, uh, Vertical. <laughs> this is all whole vertical effect I'm getting here. Uh, but anyhow. Okay. All right.
2: It looks like you've got a halo.
0: Yeah. Well, that's what I like about it, right? You know, my old banner, which is still hanging behind my green screen um, and which I still show in some of my other broadcasts. Um, yeah. It kind of framed my, and I was totally accidental, right? I just had it on a banner behind on the wall behind me uh, to have the Signum logo decorating the wall behind me. And yeah, it kind of frames the, my head exactly like a, like a, like a halo on a medieval painting. So I, I, uh, I, uh, I would recreate that effect here. Okay. And boom, I'm back again or still. Okay, now this time I'm gonna do something different. I'm just gonna stretch it out this way. Okay, there we go. That'll do. Okay. And now I think we can go. Maybe.
2: Yeah, you're not back in game because Valor yeah. is dancing. We're and... stalling dancing. for time. <laughs> Weird. This is very odd because. very odd because I can see see and I can move around,
0: but I can't move forward and backwards. So, hang on. Are you in the
2: correct server?
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I'm seeing you there. No,
2: I'm seeing my own character.
0: Yeah. Okay. You're you're just not. Okay, hang on. Let me just exit and come
1: back in again.
2: Oh, yeah. I can't see what you see, so it doesn't really help. I think you're still stuck in your own. Basically, what you were seeing is are all of our characters in your client, but you actually had yeah. a lot.
0: Of- yeah, yeah. yeah, it was just it was stuck. stuck in some. Let me. Let me you're let stuck me- in the Nexus. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to come out and come back in. Okay. Well, that actually makes more sense to me because if I had still been in, I would have been deeply confused as to why. Okay. Whoa. I think I'm going to experience some serious lag issues.
2: Not my care. fault
0: no, not your fault, but I think it's I think it's uh I think it's a matter of I think it's a matter of um my again I'm using totally new software for streaming, and it's not uh i think
2: what are you using now?
0: I am now using uh Game Capture HD by Elgato.
2: Oh, okay. I, yeah, I'm familiar with
0: because that's what I got with uh uh the Rambunctious Reel's mm-hmm. new capture card for his Switch and that yeah. Yeah, pretty much worked, so.
2: When I when I had a capture card, it's currently in the position of our community manager. Um I actually still used x split, which is my original uh yeah okay
0: all right okay, yeah, and Katrana says the lag has been has been kind of bad lately, I think this i think it's uh yeah, Let's we'll oh. see. okay
2: faced it. There you are.
0: I'm back slowly. Okay.
2: And you're in the right instance because I can see Valori in the right place and I can see her. Right, that's right. Planes. And I can
0: walk. Okay, good.
2: Excellent. All right. Excellent. Huzzah,
0: huzzah. Huzzah, huzzah. Let's head on. And off. there was
2: much rejoicing.
0: And I'll deal with that. Yeah. but as of course we tend to do a lot of standing around and looking at things uh, in the field trip, lag should not be too fatal.
2: <laughs> they the are going to be patching later this week, so hopefully they'll fix
0: them. Yeah, it might. I I think that it's mostly not. It's not even my internet, which is actually fine. It's been improved. I'm. It's my. Uh, I think it's my system, which is running a whole bunch of new software and groaning under the uh, strain, I think.
1: So are we going to Calundum and writing up then, or and Hall this time?
0: That is an excellent question. Let's... Um, let's go to Calundum again. Okay. at risk of crossing countryside a lot of countryside with lag
2: <laughs>
1: whenever you have lag I get lost <laughs>
0: yeah <laughs> but we'll see
2: yes okay I'm um, gonna cheat because my home is set to Thorns Hall haha
0: <laughs> we can certainly meet you there no problems
2: indeed we shall Okay, dokie.
0: Okay, so we of course have... Oh man, this is awful actually. Well, I'll labor through this week and then I'll, I'll try to see hopefully next week think's things can be better.
1: <laughs>
0: okay. What um, can I do for you? You can take me to Columbia.
1: the grass is green and the girls are pretty okay. so
0: okay so anyway we got a review because it's been three weeks at least since we last did our like normal field trips over here in arid Lewin.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: absolutely so let's try to remember where we were I mean not geographically I remember geographically, I'm thinking thematically where we were.
1: Thematically, I think we were looking at uh, uh, what you call uh, Sarnur and noticing that there were a lot of uh, dower hand architecture.
0: And we had just gotten and up th- the last th- yes, and then the last thing we did after that was the um, the the treasure hunting fields, right?
1: Yes, well, um, also the area outside of Sarnur, the part that the yes.
0: goblins and dwarves had taken over. Yes. I'd noticed him. Yes, exactly. And we noticed a lot of so Sarnor obviously was one of the the places with the most yeah, almost just like ran off the cliff over there. Remind me not to ride yeah. to try to ride my war steed tonight. That could be absolutely disastrous. Yeah. No. <laughs> Can I make this really wide bridge? Let's see. Can we do it? I think this is one of my only bridges for the evening. So, as long as I can get over this one, I should be comparatively safe across the rest of the terrain here. Okay, so, um, so we're noticing a lot of uh, a a lot of uh, long beardish. Wasn't it long beardish? Long beardy.
2: Long Long beardy.
0: Yes, a a lot of long beardy architecture, (laughs) and um, uh, no, it was dour handy and long beardish right
1: long beardish not long beardian i don't
0: think it was beardian cuz i think i found ish more comical since i was going with dower handy almost entirely for the comic value um, okay um though valamoinen thoracic is pretty good actually uh <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's that's really the 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 thoracic period as the period of Thorin and company is kind of fun, really. That's way funnier than Longbeardish, actually.
1: We'd have to name an area Thoracic Park.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, th- like you know, Thorin's Gate is basically thoracic. Yes, park, that's right?
1: thoracic park. Well, the courtyard is. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah that is excellent. That's very very good okay, so anyway um the all right, so the what what we wanted to see is so that the next little town over uh we were gonna see what's there
1: mm-hmm. hey coffin so, game I think it's a it's a little fishing village almost
0: right. Right. Hey, so while I'm riding over laboriously with my lag, um, what um, any thoughts from you guys on Minas Morgul yet? I've, needless to say, not been to Minas Morgul yet, uh, as Wigan <laughs> is still only level 100. Um, but uh, reactions to Minas Morgul? Yeah,
1: I'd, I'd like to hear your... I haven't I haven't had a chance to look at it.
0: Yeah, yet either. I haven't yet. So here's well, let me tell let me say one of my questions. Well, not exactly questions. Um, one sort of ponderings about Minas Morgul, and that but, is yeah. thinking about Shelob in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, because one of the very first things that I remember thinking when I was in Angmar for the first time. And we fought that truly ginormous spider. What was it? it Bogbereth, right? Yeah, Bogbereth.
1: Yeah, Bogbereth. I I was I was screaming a lot, if I recall.
0: Yes, the first time I met Bogbereth, you know, who is like the size of the brontosaurus, right? And, (laughs) uh, you know, and then we're supposed to mount her head on the wall when her head was clearly larger than any house I owned.
1: Close uh, scale. <laughs> yeah, yeah okay. I know. Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, but but anyway, um, so I remember thinking during my the first time I ever fought Bogbereth, I was thinking to myself, "Okay, what are they going to do when they get to Sheol? Like Sheol has to seem worse than this, right? Sheol has yeah. to be the most terrifying spider in the whole game, right?
1: It'd be like the watcher in the water at that point."
0: right exactly so like my, and and often there's a strong correlation between physical size and like you know sort of grandeur or like um you know uh like wonder like the inspiration of awe right um in the game i mean specifically like the game cor- tends to correlate physical size with like uh-huh. and this is like the greatest of all the things it's one of the reasons why so many of the even of the landscape items um, are um, are often so much larger than they're described in the game or so much larger than would actually be practical um, uh, or necessary or anything like that um, but um so th- that's a general correlation, but it's not like it's a rule that they're stuck to, right? Uh-huh. So, my thought, my assumption, even while I was fighting Bogbirth, my assumption was that Shelob was going to have to be like scary and impressive in a different way, right? Yeah. So, like maybe
1: it's a black background and you can't see her attack until yeah, she's done. Yeah, maybe out in the, the darkness kind of or
0: shadow or some other way in which you have to interact with her or whatever. Uh, or if there's
1: going to be like a breed of spider called Ungolantari or something like that.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And of course, that's, that's uh, another I thing that's, from, the, from, the, yeah. uh, from the drafts. It was originally mm-hmm. Ungolient. Like, it was Sam was literally fighting Ungolient herself in the first draft mm-hmm. of that story. Um, he decided not to make it Ungolient. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, and it was relatively early on. It wasn't, she wasn't Ungoliant Ungolian for very long. Um, but uh-huh. there was, there was a, there was a full draft in which Sam was actually fighting, uh, Ungolians. And I agree, uh, Simon, there has to be something with the, the stink, right? The, the, oh, yeah. the overwhelming reek of, of Shelob. Um, not just the fear, like it's not just fear that's created by her, but that, um, I mean there is fear right there's fear and then there and there's the smell but the um uh there's also the like paralyzing effect of her will where she like freezes them in place and then lets them run for a while so you know there's 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 a lot of there's a lot to I mean Shiwab is so much more than physical power right I think it'd be pretty cool yeah. if the fight with Shiwab you don't even like physically interact with her for you know, you know how like you know the they usually set up the boss fights in raids and stuff to be like several different uh-huh. phases of the of, of the battle. I think it'd be pretty cool if in the fight with Shiub, you don't even like get to the physical confrontation until like phase three of the of the combat. But
1: yeah, like they have, like there's a runaway filter or something.
0: On right. The, yeah. I don't know. I don't, don't know exactly how they do it. But but anyway, it's it's something I've Trip been over curious about. For desiccated
2: a while. orc carcasses.
0: Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. The only
2: thing we know of Sheila in the game so far, she's not in the game, um, is in the uh, the launch trailer, or the preview trailer, which had, like, you know, she was in it at the at the end, as, like, pun intended, stinger, right. um, to, right. like, you know, see, hey, this is what's going on, this is what's going to happen.
0: Right. We well, have yet, so forth. Yeah, it's because and I remembered seeing that, that i am talking about this, because I'm assuming that we've got to get...
2: We don't have a sense of scale, though.
0: Yeah, we've got to get some kind of of action uh, in this expansion, yeah. right? Sooner or later. Uh,
1: yeah, I'm. I'm just reminded when you had the High Elf opening uh, during the siege. There was a bit where you and Thranduil are, are attacked by spiders that the other elves, I think, called uh, Ungol... From Twitty Teddy or something like that. Children of Ungoliant.
0: Right. Right.
2: They, they, were, they were.
1: They were. Pretty big too. So. Yeah. Okay. Hang
0: on. All right. I'm trying to. Click on the uh, well met, stable friend. master here. Okay, great. Um, okay. All right. Well, anyway, enough about Sheila, I've been back to architecture. So, hang on a minute, tree. Get out of tree. Uh, okay, there we go. So, obviously, we could see from a distance that this was mostly from the thoracic period. I'm totally using that from now on. I can't resist <laughs> it. Um, uh, so, thank you. Thank you for that. Who was it who said that again? Because that was so brilliant. Valamoinen. Uh, yeah, thank you, Valamoinen. Yeah, right. Um, so, you could tell that this was from the Thoracic period from the beginning, from afar. The question is, is it so much of the stuff from the Thoracic period, we see them choosing sites. Now, look over here. Okay, so this stone over here on the side looks different. Yeah. And, like And supporting this brazier, is this is this a remnant of an older... Thing, or is it just different stone because stylistically it doesn't look that different the coloring is different it's not like the same kind of polished marble the sort of the the, the sort of sandy colored polished marble that we get in other places and the red upright columns that we're getting here
1: yeah the red Jasper columns
0: but I don't uh, see any markings on this lowest level but see if of course, it's the lowest level. Look all the way around. Like the, it's like the foundations of most of it. Not over here, right? This tower over here is, um, you know, the newer thoracic marble all the way down to the bottom. But everywhere else, we get this lower layer. And you know what? That the knotwork in the horizontal line along the bottom of that older wall. Uh-huh. Looks doesn't that look the same as what we got on the steps leading up to Sarnur? oh uh, yeah, it's I got,
1: got the, think the, so. it's the jaggedy pointy kind of looking yeah yeah they they like their iron spiky looking things,
0: yeah, okay, so I'm gonna then I'm gonna go with the theory and see, look at the difference between the steps there and those steps that we got in Sarnur, right oh. Yeah so yeah. i 'm going to assume that this is a this is a thoracic these are thoracic stairs and a doorway you know and uh, yeah and and down around the bottom there, so that lower level that kind of greenish brown layer of older stone uh-huh. is the remnant the last remnant of the dower handy construction so this was a dower handy site so once again what we're seeing or what i what i what i think we're being shown is that um the that the, the longbeards came and they built like everywhere the dower hands do i mean i don't think we've seen a single place that had only dower handy architecture right where it's just no. a ruin of where the Dower hands were the long beards have come and taken over like every single site and that's mm-hmm. got to yeah. be annoying if you're no, a Dower hand chip
1: right? on their shoulders yeah yeah
0: yeah exactly i mean it's um it's now some of this could be pragmatic in in one sense right i mean pragmatic doubly in in two different ways one in the sense of, well, like, why lay whole new foundations for whole new buildings when there are already sound foundations that you can build on, right? Yeah, um, they're flipping. They're flipping it. They're they're flipping it exactly, exactly. They're taking the old dower hand property and flipping it. Um, but the other reason that it that the other reason of practicality is that whatever motivated the dower hands to want to build in these particular places is also attractive to the longbeards right um, whether it be like uh, the harbor or whether it be the mines or you know something or you know like you know olive so, you know, Sarnoor. um fresh water fresh water exactly so they're 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 going in a corpse. yeah they're going to those sites and they're wanting to be there you know for the same reason uh, that um, that the the dower hands were Okay.
1: So so have we seen this archway before? This archway looks new to me. It, it's,
0: so it's a similar shape that we've seen before, but I, I also don't remember a freestanding arch like that. That's the shape of arches that we've seen often in walls, as I recall, but it's definitely not the normal arch. Um, the normal arches look like this one. See, here's a low one over here. Mm-hmm right that's what the most of the thoracic arches have looked like and of course um i uh i really like the word thoracic because it me it's like a real word that means something completely different so that makes it twice yeah. as funny right it's funny because it sounds like jurassic but it's also funny because it it sounds and like the thorax the thorax <laughs> right exactly um So, yeah, for Thoughtless, I agree. This kind of arch, you would think, this arch by the gateway here, would be very fragile. Um, But again, we've never seen it freestanding before, and it's, of course, not actually supporting anything. Um,
1: Makes me wonder if there's supposed to be some sort of open air market, like, you know, or there maybe would be a a canopy or some sort of, you know, less permanent structure that would have been connected to it that just was either destroyed or just left off over the years.
0: Or taken down, or yeah, they didn't get there. Is this an, kind of an unfinished site? It doesn't really look, I mean...
1: It doesn't feel finished, or it doesn't feel like... It feels different than all the other ones. It just sort of feels... Right. Um...
0: Well, this part here is clearly just the courtyard, right? Whereas, yeah. you know, in that, this, they've got the, the tower here, sort of tower, which looks finished, and we've got the you know, the the hall over here, which you know, is set back in the mountainside and who knows how far back that goes. Um but um, what
1: kind of animal would pull this cart. This thing is huge.
0: My goodness.
1: It's got the knot work on the collar.
0: It's but... a really big goat. <laughs> A really big goat.
1: The orbit goat.
0: Yeah. Um oh Bricktails exactly. So Bricktails was comparing the um the building of the Longbeard sites on top of Jura- uh, uh of the Dowerhand sites as uh like the way in which modern roads follow the same paths as, as old Roman roads so often. Oh yeah. 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 For for both of those same reasons. Um Okay, let's see. Uh, Bricktails is also asking what's the engraving on the side of the doorway? Um, this one?
1: Uh, there's a diamond shaped guy over here.
0: I think, yeah, I think that's the same as this, right? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm.
1: It's metal, there's little rivets around it.
0: Yeah looks almost like a tree, doesn't it?
1: Or a flower.
0: Which seems weird.
1: It sounds like a... It looks like a flower in, like, geometric Polish art or, like, Eastern European. Right. I Maybe mean, it's decoration. This is a dwarf attempt at drawing something organic.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, so those elves like little plants, you know, on their door frames. Well, we can do plants on a door frame here. Here's a completely Bye. angular tree. I'm gonna make a stick. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like a spear, and it's kind of like a lollipop, but you put them <laughs> together, and it's a tree. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> a spear pop. Um, it's It could be a goblet, I suppose, Bruce. That's possible. Um, it doesn't have an opening, if so... Um, could be like, yeah, no, I don't know.
1: I mean, the diamonds echo the shape on the doors. So I think it's just supposed to be complementing the shapes that are already on the doors.
0: Oh, right. You mean all the little, like, diamonds on the... Yeah, there's... Yeah. So Yeah.
1: looks very similar.
0: Right. Yep.
1: So (laughs) maybe it's a mailbox...
0: Right, possibly. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure. Have to see what where...
1: the Flower family's house. Maybe I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's on this door too. So.
0: It's yeah. Yeah. We can see them door. on both doors. Yeah. Yeah. It does seem to be part of this overall larger door design with all those diamonds.
1: Maybe it's a fish. It's a Fisher Village.
0: A fish. Well. It looks almost as much like a fish as it does a tree. So, uh... <laughs> okay, Let's I think we've Wait, got. We one got a other... lot of
1: those here. <laughs> I, th-
0: I think we've got one more building before we get to Thorn's Gate, don't we? And
1: there's a snowman around here somewhere. A Snowman. It's a snowman. I think it's up on one of these side cliffs here. In a while. It was part of the, one of the anniversary quests.
0: Oh, like somebody just made a random snowman on the. On the
1: no, line. it's a, it's been here. Okay. It's always. It was, it was just a little. little fun Easter egg to find. Question is, who made Not
0: it? Not sure I t- Well, maybe if we saw it, we could speculate. Hmm. We should be able to make a, a reasonable guess at the provenance of snowmen.
1: <laughs> I don't know. How, there's only so much you can do with pareidolia and then it's just <laughs> speculation.
0: Okay, let's see. So our road, well, I was going to say our road is sort of petering out. No, it's not. You can still see it as sharp lines. It's just got snow on it. So that's fine. We have sort of mm-hmm. a track worn down the middle. Whoa. Can't see anything because of trees. Oops. Running into the river because of lag. Making the mistake of trying to adjust my vertical with the mouse, which lag is making awful. Okay. Oh, no. No problem.
1: I'll see if I can find the snowman for next time at the very least.
0: Okay. Yeah, well, we'll be back up in this area. So, hey, tell you what, at the end, we'll find this one other... Ruin place, and then we'll head all the way up to. We'll end at Thorn's Gate so that we can start at Thorn's Gate next time. Sweet. There's a house up on the hills. Yeah, there, there is.
2: I'm at it. <gasps> Here. Yes, there is.
0: Where is it? Can I see it?
2: Uh, one seventeen point five south, one hundred point one. I'm headed there now. I see it.
0: Okay, so it's north uh, yeah. and east of where we are. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. All right, well if there's a house. Set up that song. Uh huh. Yeah.
1: Ah wow, this has been here
0: a while. Okay, so we... I found it. I think I have been up here at least once before. I was hunting something or running away from something, or
1: <laughs> yeah we have a candidate now for who built the snow true if someone still lives here Let's
0: see, am I on the right track
2: what's your heading um, if you look at the map it's right between the R and the A in rain. it's above it, about halfway up between that and the
0: okay mm-hmm. yeah I am headed the right way
2: Yep, you're getting there. Yep. Just
0: keep following this around. Okay, no problem.
1: Yep. Just keep swimming. Just keep
2: swimming.
0: Okay. Let's see oh, Yeah, oh, if you follow oh, with a... me
2: you'll see my arrow. Uh and yeah, you'll see. Oh where I'm getting it.
0: there. I think it whoop. Good. Hang on. I don't even know what on earth it's talking about. Okay. Sorry, that's my new operating system. Okay. Um. Oh yeah. No, well, that was a rock. Okay. From a distance, I thought that was a house. Um. Oh oh. I'm seeing cliff in front of me. Oh, hunter's notch. That seems promising. Yeah. Keep. Yep. Okay. Um. Cliff. Cliff and.
2: Enemy. It's to the north, you can see it. You can see it? Yes. Mm-hmm. Up on the hill in the northeast corner. More up? Yep. Yes, it's to yes. the northeast of you. Yeah. Hmm.
1: There's a there's a there's a gap. There you are.
2: Okay. Oh,
1: there's
0: the house. I see the house. Okay. Gotcha. Yep. Ooh, it's a stone house. I wasn't expecting that. It's
1: a stone it is, and it's got some stuff on there I haven't seen before.
0: Okay, well, gonna, this is going to be a gonna like this. richly rewarding little excursion here through the snowy <laughs> woods. Which are very attractive anyway, by the way. I think the snowy woods are very nice. Yeah, yeah. Now that I so saw that house I'm... from a distance, I'm less confident that I did ever find it before. Maybe I did. I guess I must have done other quests that bring you up here?
2: I honestly don't recall, but I have the song Over the River and Through the Woods in my head right
0: now. Oh, I, I have uh, "A House Upon the Hill from the uh, Secret Garden oh. musical in my head. Oh. Here.
1: I have the Ooh. three caballeros stuck in my head.
0: Okay, that's just not as relevant. Okay, mm-hmm. No. <laughs> wow, this almost looks like an old ruined chapel or something. I know it's not a chapel, but like it, it kind of looks like. Yeah, that. you know what I mean.
1: It's, it looks it's very yeah. No, it looks like a Nordic sort of early Lutheran church.
0: Okay. Wow.
1: Look at the designs on this.
0: Wow. So it's long beardy in style, but it's all it's ancient.
1: Yeah. Decrepit. Notice all the, the stones from the lamps are are missing. Like, like, like if they were stolen or stopped working or fell out. They don't have those lamps on the outside.
0: Yeah. Wow. Wow. There is not a trace of anything dour-handy about this entire site. And yet... Yeah. Yet it clearly predates... This is not thoracic, right? This no. is long beardish without being thoracic.
1: But it's softer than long beardish. It doesn't have the harsh angles.
0: Well, I wonder if that's a product of, you know, just being sort of worn and, and, and snow-covered. Because a lot yeah. of the basic... Architecture and decoration. Like, if this looked like nice, shiny, polished marble, it would look just like all the other houses. And there's there's no door, is there? Yeah,
1: at the front.
0: Is there a point of ingress into this house here?
1: Not Did that I we can use, it? but there's one oh, right yeah,
0: here. Over here. Okay, there it is. Okay, over here.
1: Right. It's so intricate.
0: And we see no kind of, um, right. No, nothing pictorial.
1: No. The fact that it doesn't look like the hand stuff we've seen indicates that its function is different. Yeah. Like this is an actual residence instead of a stronghold or strategic point.
0: So let's see. Where are we again? All right. This house is very remote, far from yes. the road, far from. Let's see. So I'm looking at the map now, and the the primary dower hand. So Sarnur is the uh-huh. w- the largest dower hand settlement that we've seen. Yes. Uh there was other Dowerhand stuff up here in the north, like up in the north of Howthlin. Yeah. And in the lowlands, and then around Gondaman, Gondaman was not Dowerhandy. It was Elvish and then a hundred percent thoracic on top of that down at Cheladul. So we've been seeing I mean, it was originally up in Houthlin that began we began to sort of imagine this being the the first age home of the Dowerhands during uh, you know the time, in the, you know down here in the southernmost reaches of the Blue Mountains, south of Ossiriand in Old Beleriand. Um, <laughs> and of course, we still haven't seen Thorns Gate and that, all, ha, that whole area, so we'll, we'll get a clearer historical picture of it when we get up there finally. Yeah. But so I'm trying to so. We have seen nothing else aged like this, no other um long beard structure that's been aged like this. I'm trying to yes. wanna look out at the view uh, there,
1: there might be more at the vale of rain.
0: there might be, and we'll have to see about that
1: also you know the, it does beg the question who is the hunter?
0: <laughs> yeah
1: for the huntsman's uh whatchamacallit. Oh, right. Hunts- Huntsman's Cliff Sword Hook, no, Crook, whatever it was.
0: Okay, well, it's dark, but right now I'm looking off towards Sarnur. I'm, try- I'm just trying to to figure, like, in the landscape of this whole region, like, what is this spot? I mean, because on the one hand, it's isolated. I mean, it's it took us a long time to run here from the road, and there's no road mm-hmm. leading up to it. Um
1: yeah I can't really see it from here
0: exactly so so it so but, but at the same time, although it's isolated it's not exactly hidden either, and it's no. a large stone structure out on the edge of this cliff. you could see it from a long ways around if you were looking in the right direction, so it's yes. not secret and it's in just per- remote <laughs> right exactly, and so I'm, I'm i'm you know, imagining i'm looking at the map and i'm in, I'm imagining what a map of First Age Jared Lewin would look like, right, of this exact region back in the First Age. And we saw some of the elf stuff. There would have been less elf stuff, um, like Calendim wouldn't have been there, presumably, back in the older days. There were some of those older yeah. things, like the vineyard and the party house and stuff like that. Um, uh, Duolon probably. Uh, Gondoman, right, which was an elf city earlier at that yeah. point. So all that stuff would have been elf stuff. Um, Sarnur, was the center, clearly the center of Dowerhand power here, right? The largest city of of the Daurhands, that we've seen so far. Um, And that's the thing, when I'm looking at the map and where we are right now, um, Sarnur is kind of opposite, across the valley from it, right?
1: Uh, Yeah, Um, quite a ways.
0: Quite a ways away, but but there's a kind of symmetry between this spot and Sarnur? That's the, the, the kind of the thing. That's why I wanted to look out and see how much of Sarno we could see. Of course, it would help if it were daylight. I'd see yeah. a little further <laughs> in the daylight. So, but,
1: but what visible, remote, far from the big civilized city, you know, all those things suggest to me Huntsman's Lodge.
0: Yes, but it's long beard. see, if this were a dour hand thing, I would think this was just kind of like some of those isolated um, those isolated spots that we saw from, uh, like in Arnor, right? Where, yeah. you know, like uh, you've got the main city in a and then you've got the, like, country homes, right? And mm-hmm. I would have thought that this was along those kinds of lines, and certainly we saw some remote places, even in the North Downs and stuff, right? Located in similar kinds of spots to this um even yeah. the the place that Griffoot was just looking at the uh, the the Gondorian place that he just came across um in uh, uh, in not in norcrofts actually but in the wold um near elfengels, the northern gate to elfengels, where the guy that you 're supposed to have the horse race with like got knocked off his horse um
1: yeah yeah
0: anyway, that is to say, a remote Gondorian home. Which was like a, a grand home, but off in the wilderness, you know uh, off in like the you know um, uh, a country manor yeah, um, well, I, but I could see this as a country manor is that kind of a thing like you know where where like the you know highly introverted dowerhand family lives not wanting to live anywhere near Sarnur. except that's not this right because this it's is where not, they not, where they nah.
1: summer, <laughs>
0: well, right? Except it's not dour handy, so no dour hands yeah, uh, summered here, right? I mean, there's okay, there's
1: true, but we're not thinking like a dwarf. What's behind us on all sides?
0: Mountains,
1: mountains, but the... and if we look at our if we look at the map and look at the mountains and mountains and where they're going, where is that leading us? Um. Uh, hang on a second.
0: Sorry. Okay. My computer was giving me issues again. Oh, on giving me issues. What is wrong with you? Fool thing. Um, okay. Crying out. Okay, there we go. Sorry. Sorry, apologies. Um looking back at the mountains. Okay. So it backs up against the mountains, sure. Uh huh. Um but it doesn't. It's still detached.
1: Unless it's got a lower level that's connected.
0: Well, that's certainly true. Can't argue with that. But still, my point is, this is long beardy, And it's old. Yes. So if we imagine that this was a first or second age long beard construction,
1: mm-hmm.
0: we have never seen any evidence of anything like that. Here or anywhere around here. This is the old, this is the only non thoracic long beard construction we've seen anywhere in the Eridluin yet that I recall. So, in fact, you could even say this is the first time that there has been any evidence of any long beard presence in this region back in the first age
1: that's very true and notice there's been no improvements made on it Dower hand or thoracic or otherwise
0: yeah this seems to have just been abandoned I wish we could get in and see what the inside like how abandoned the inside looks um yeah and what we can see from like you know furniture and other internal constructions but um uh but anyway um so someone,
1: someone made the suggestion this might have been uh, uh what was it uh might have maybe Thorn's house or something when he came out here,
0: maybe, but see again it just it looks older than anything that we see, right so yeah. Forth is pointing out that the knot work around the top of the building looks kind of dour handy I agree it's like those knots we were looking at on the steps it's it's that is that is true, but there are several elements that I think okay, so like first of all the primary things that have marked the old, dower handy constructions have been th- mm-hmm. like the stained glass type thing, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, uh The much more intricate details, even things like flowers and stuff, I mean like much more, almost like elvish work. Not quite like Elvish work, but almost like Elvish work.
1: Uh, um, you don't say that to their face anyway.
0: Right, right. Um, yeah, and, and the whole thing really has the shape of a of a of a a long beard
1: yeah. house. It's just missing those those spires. It doesn't have the usual spires we see on everything. Either yeah, no, the it the big brass one or the jasper or the glowstone it doesn't have any of that.
0: Okay. So my theory is especially since we've been instructed to associate this place with hunting in some way uh-huh. or other, right? Maybe this is an old outpost like so the longbeards did not live here back in the first age, but they visited, right? They traveled through here and might have you know there might have been some, you know, like a a long family that used to come and hunt here sometimes. And so they built this house, um, and they built it far away from the, da- I mean, this is not like on the doorstep of Sarnur, right? I mean, it's far away. It's not away like from
1: Thrasy's Lodge it- where it's on the
0: road. Exactly. It's not like Thrasy's Lodge. Uh, it's set way back then. And of course Thrasy's Lodge was of Dunedain construction as we saw, which is a whole another thing, but, um,
2: that's the only, that thing, the only thing. I can think
0: here, right, is that um, uh, is that uh, this is uh, this is an old relic of like. So, okay, all right. Theory then. Theory. That then leads to a deeper theory. So, what if? Therefore, this was. It was. There was a, There were a family of long beards who used to come to this area to hunt and had built this house, right? So this was the only outpost of the Longbeards, the only place where any of the Longbeards would come and stay uh, when they were traveling through this region. Therefore, when Thorin said, hey, we don't have anywhere to live because our place got eaten by a dragon, um, (laughs) and they set up in Dunlin first, and then that doesn't pan out so well because dragons, again, within the Lotro world, Um, they're like, okay, can we think of anywhere we can live that doesn't involve dragons? And then somebody's like, Yeah, well, there's this place, you know, there's this area up in the Blue Mountains. uh, You know, there are still some other dwarves there, but they're kind of losers. And anyway, like, you know, we used to be up there sometimes. And so they're like, okay, let's go back and settle down there. So this is evidence that there was a Longbeard presence in the area, even though they didn't dominate. Uh, And that could also help to... Sort of explain them deciding to move in and feeling like they have, if not a claim exactly, uh, a kind of, you know, familiarity here.
1: Foundations, at the very least. Yeah,
0: yeah. That. Um, I think
1: we'll, I definitely think we're going to learn a little more when we get to, to, to um, yeah. Thorne's Gate.
0: Yeah, okay. All right. Costs. Um well, okay. So it's 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 very late now. I wasn't planning to come. I didn't even know that this place existed. So that's delightful. <laughs> um, uh, I'm not going to run all the way over to Thorn's Gate just for the sake of being there. But next time, remind me, Valori, we will start at Thorn's Gate next time. Sounds good. Uh, so okay, because that's what we'll, we'll be right in the in the environs of uh, of Thorn's Gate for next time. All right, that's nice. very good. Well, we will sign off here thanks everybody for joining us this week really fun class we finished chapter one we um, uh, we uh, uh, got back to our our regular field trip routine thanks everybody for joining us and we'll see you guys next Tuesday so next week is the Tuesday before Thanksgiving I am gonna have this class as normal on Tuesday night I I am pretty sure so okay Total disclosure, my mother-in-law is coming next week. She arrives on Monday, so I am reasonably confident that I will have the liberty to broadcast as usual on Tuesday night. But there is a non-zero chance that my schedule might change without warning to myself. So, uh, we will see. So. Been um,
1: there, been
0: there. <laughs> yeah, that I, I I I shall be flexible with my mother in law's visit, but barring any unexpected mother in law related activities, I will be see you guys next Tuesday and certainly the Tuesday after that. In any case, uh, so thanks everybody. Good night. Good night. Thanks for joining me on this epic exploration of the Lord of the Rings and of Standing Stone's video adaptation of Tolkien's story. If you are having even half the fun I'm having on this journey, I hope you will consider supporting the project by donating at signumuniversity.org slash fund.